Okay. I have to say it. This is nice. It's way more what I was expecting from being part of a secret society. Oh, hell yeah. This is pretty sweet. No more trudging through the rain. Can we agree on that, please? Fuck yeah. This is sweet. We need to take things easy. A cup of tea. Thank you, my good man. So, uh, we started here, circled around. Uh, Good, we should be moving further from the High Council's malign influence. They can't stand the flyover states. All we're doing is delaying the inevitable, though. So far, our whole plan has been to run away from our problems. Might as well run away in style, right? That's how we do what we do. (laughs) Sweet, free Wi-Fi. I wonder if the internet is still... uh, an infinite hate machine? Uh, T, I added a little lemon just for you. That's actually really nice. Thank you. (sighs) What the hell is this? Where's the whiskey? It looks as if we keep heading west. We'll be back in civilization soon. All right. I'm heading to the little cultist's room. I'll be back in a moment. Checking social media and... Yep. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Ah, uh, a soothing cup of chamomile will help. Here you go. Oh, that's, that's like old people Xanax, right? Fuck yeah, I'll give it a try. What's the deal with all the tea? Why don't I get tea? Uh, I didn't want to offer you any until you asked, because as a feminist, I don't subscribe to a reductive ladies first chauvinism. That sort of makes sense. Would you like some tea? I would but only because I actually like tea and not because you're obviously trying to get under my skin. Would you perhaps prefer a diet Coke? Hand over the fucking tea. Uh, Hope? Oh, you're not manipulating me. Sure, sure. It's nice how you don't have to go along with the others. I mean, strictly speaking, this is cult tea for us committed cultists and not hangers-on. Gimme! Anyone notice this tea is kinda funny? Feeling woozy. There's a distinct undertone of fentonarcolan. I thought it was quite piquant. I mean, it's not like my favorite instant knockout drug. Before what we both know is coming, I just wanted to say one thing. Mm Hmm. You're old. I really wish I could say this was the first time I've been cunningly betrayed recently. Why does this cult suck so much? I want to be clear. I am already so drunk, I might have passed out at any moment. Anyway. Noted. Ah, refreshing. And it seems we're having a whole weird group nap time situation. We are not that kind of a cult. Brother Randy, what is the meaning of this? I believe my meaning is clear. Very well. I assume there is some kind of diabolical scheme behind all of this? Oh, most diabolical. One question. Why do you appear to be holding an 11-pound lump hammer with a finely worked beechwood handle in decorative inlay? Because I'm here to judge movies and knock out cultists with fento narcoland laced tea. And I'm all out of tea. Clonk, clonk, bitch.
Hey, is, is anyone there? Stop yelling! Oh, Jesus. Oh. It's... It's classic Fenton Narcolan. It's not like the new shit. Listen, the headache will pass in about, in, in about 10 minutes. Then you just have to deal with the night screaming, and if you're really unlucky, the bulges. You're kidding. Yeah, yeah, relax. It's more night murmuring. Fuck. Where are we? Oh, I can't see shit. Wait, wait, can you move? <clears throat> I can't move. Oh, yeah, we're totally tied up. That, that's not a side effect of fentanarcolin, by the way. That's just a thing, apparently. Anyone else awake yet? Ugh, what happened? Where are we? Comfy chairs all in a line, dark room. Is this some kind of theater? Theater? No. It's a cinema. That's our thing, though, right? Isn't this, like, our deal? I have a terrible idea of what's coming. Well, spill it. What's the situation? Did our parents leave for a week's vacation? Who is missing from the group? Brother Methuselah? <sighs> Who is missing who actually matters? Uh, one, two, three. Where's Brother Andy? And who has picked a Conclave movie recently? Well, there was Alyssa. Daniel. Wait, no. You better not be saying what I think you are, man. Cause that's it, man. Kill me now, put an ice pick in my fucking brain and get it over with. That's right. It's his turn. <laughs> okay, you need to stop kidding about. Let's get real here. After last time, we said never again. We said it! This, this wasn't supposed to happen. Um, you wanna all uh, clue me in a little? What are you so worked up about? weren't there last time. Okay, so we all take turns picking a movie, right? Yeah. Well, you know, Brother Andy, he's, uh, he's got unique taste. So? I mean, how bad could it be? We've watched some pretty weird shit. <laughs> he's not human! Those are not movies! Silence! We have to hold on to sanity. Let's not panic. After all, we don't know the full story. It might not be his turn yet. Oh, but it is, my friends. It is. And now I am panicking. This is panic. I am in a panicked situation right now. Uh, and yes, I believe I'm losing my mind. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> so what's all this about, huh? You upset? We don't like your dumb pics. This is about justice, respect. For too long I've endured the snide comments, the veiled mockery, the bedraped teasing. For too long, I have been silent! Veiled? Real wilting wallflower, yeah. Is it too late to go for the Diet Coke? We're holding a conclave, right here, right now. Okay, okay dude, let's say we're playing along. What's the movie? Oh, I think you'll approve this time. This is a modern film about modern issues. Oh, sweet. As long as you think the 80s are still modern. Oh, less sweet. It's a film about madness, obsession, and paranoia. Oh, really? Concerning social breakdown in 1980s Britain. Uh, there it goes. My mind rolling around on the floor. Lost! It has rampant innuendo and sexual lusting. Ooh, hey, hey. 
that involves a lot of hideous skin complaints. Ooh, hey, hey. Oh, I'm gonna need a lot of booze. It technically passes the Bechdel test. Okay. Go on, say it. I know you're going to say something. But all the women are wealthy and privileged. I am so sick of being right all the time. Enough games! Just tell us what we're watching. <clears throat> Just give me a second. Let me stop this tape here. Right. Mm. Now, now that we're all sitting comfortably in the depths of a conveniently abandoned Midwestern cinema where nobody can hear you screaming, safely out of the reach of a global conspiracy that seriously has no sense of humor, a secret society will assemble to continue their work condemning the perverse and heretical, or so help me, I'm going to clockwork all your oranges, to scrutinize those films which are rumored to drive viewers to madness and dissolution. Draw closer, dear listener, let your trembling ears sup upon the eldritch knowledge of the Cinemania Society. We, the fellows of the Lenten Society, many years, hereby leave the mysteries of the church, and which may contain hazards unsuitable. Enough! Conclave, begin! Okay, if we're going to have a conclave, we're doing it right. Say it properly. Hang on, hang on, let me turn the tape over. Right, yes, yes, I remember. Uh, and welcome to our listeners, to whom I will now issue this warning. We disciples of the Cinemania Society have studied the mysteries of the motion picture and meditated upon the silver screen for many years. Therefore, we have become inured to the films we scrutinize, which may contain hazards unsuitable to young and sensitive ears. As such, we advise anyone listening to do so with discretion. Guard your ears carefully, lest you develop a severe and irreversible case of Cinemania. Present at our conclave tonight are Sinquisitor Ethan, Keeper of the Lenses. I'd rather not be, thank you. Silence! Scrutinize Zachariah, Guardian of the Door. <laughs> Quiet, you! Profligator Daniel, Possessor of the Word. I'm still waiting on that whiskey you promised me earlier with the tea. No, Auntie Hope, keeper of the books. I'm not drunk enough for this. You will be. Professor Andrea, scholar of San Francisco. Do I really have a choice here? No. Arbiter Alessa, voice from the outer world. Who thinks the 80s are still relevant? Look, I've got a big stick. And I, of course, verify Andy, Master Illuminator. Master Kidnapper, dude. Ahem! I shall be serving as Pontifex of Presentment for tonight's subject of scrutiny, how to get ahead in advertising. Oh god! It begins. A British film from 1989, written and directed by Bruce Robinson, who had previously made Withnail and I, with this film star Richard E. Grant. If I spike you, you'll know you've been spoken to. We're not doing with nail quotes today. Oh, get to the back of the van! You there, Zach! Zachariah will act as master castigator for this conclave. Brother Zachariah, present the charges. But just give me a second, I just need to start the tape again. Hang on. <clears throat> Talking skin diseases. Animated animals in a strictly live-action zone. 
bizarre party behavior that does not prevent guests returning for future bizarre parties. Washing food in an unsanitized toilet, either being a naked lunch-style comedy body horror, or else a story of one guy just being a bit nutty. Criminal wearing of a mustache. Criminal wearing of 80s party dresses. Letting everyone know just how badly advertising is fucking them up. Cruelty to boils. Serious trigger warnings, bad language, sexual themes, gaslighting, partial nudity. Thank you, Brother Zachariah. Now, summarize. Summarize. <clears throat> Help. You do it. Ugh. Do I have to? Yes. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Uh, meet Dennis Dimbleby Bagley. He's having a big day. He has big 1980s suspenders, big ideas, and a great big advertising budget. Uh, excuse me. They're not suspenders in Britain. We say braces. Suspenders are lingerie. The only idiot who calls him braces here is Roger fucking Stone, and nobody wants to be like that asshole. I didn't see any orthodontia going on there. His teeth look okay for a Brit. Weird. Uh, yeah, but, um, I mean, what if they're bracers? I mean, that's a whole other thing. I mean, you know, you've got the, they're on the arm, or it might be for archery. Uh, sorry. Uh, let's just Go get on. this over with. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, sorry. Keep going. Dennis is ranting to a room full of advertising amateurs about the best way to sell groceries. For that is their current job. The problem is, the products they are selling are pretty crap, and the chain store that needs the adverts likes it that way. The job of the advertising man is not to give a toss about healthy food or value for money, but only to care about what the customers happen to be concerned about at that moment. Right now, Dennis explains, housewives of Britain have 2.7 kids, use 16 feet of toilet roll per week, and worry about their weight. Housewives of Britain, what are you eating? Yeah, he also, by the way, manages to uh, give Sean Bean his first, at least metaphorical, on-screen death by tearing him a new one. <laughs> yes, that is in fact a very young Sean Bean. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. He goes into a detailed rant about the strategy to get the customer buying. Everything they sell either has to have less of something bad or have extra of something good. Hammer them about how much they deserve a little treat, then hit them with guilt the moment they succumb to a delicious little snack. It's chilling. But this is actually a very accurate description of modern advertising practices. Know your customers' concerns, figure out what makes them tick, and convince them they need what you're selling until they're breaking down your door to get it. But Dennis also has a big problem. He's been given a big job for a big client, and he's got a big old pile of nothing to show them. Dennis has to come up with an advertising campaign for a new kind of pimple cream, and he's suffering from creative block. Richard E. Grant prowls around his fancy London office like someone- <clears throat> Hey, hey Andy! What? No, no joke about a clogged creative pore or something? No? No, frankly, this is a serious film about serious issues. Take it seriously. Oh, 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 sorry, sorry. Can I get more narco fentanyl then? No? Where's the shot? Okay, back to you, Hope. Richard E. Grant prowls around his fancy London office looking like someone taught a manic scarecrow how to smoke. Desperately trying to come up with a tagline, but there's just no way to make pimple cream sexy and appealing. I don't know, they managed it in the U.S. Uh, sexy, sexy face washing. I mean, everything can be sexy in the U.S. Have you seen our Halloween costumes? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> sexy mustard. Sexy union organizer. <laughs> That's always sexy. Just for a moment, he hears his boss's voice in his head saying, 
There's a lot of boils out there, Bagley, and it seems to cause a flash of pain in his head. Something's not quite right with this guy. Pimple cream is a lot of stress to put on a chap. The best he's got is, if it doesn't work on blackheads, you can spread the fucker on toast. <laughs> what the fuck? Tastes about as good as Marmite. Tastes as good as it sounds. You leave Marmite alone. <laughs> That's because it was organic or something like that. Well, Marmite's <laughs> the only way you can get your B vitamins other than beer in Britain. Jeez. <laughs> vitamin B. That's fire, shit. <laughs> Poor Dennis. The best he can come up with is pretending to be a sensual, voluptuous biochemist who's both an expert on pimple chemistry and also a woman with needs. He prances around playing out an imagined advertisement, but it's not working. Even a really, really good biochemist would have a hard time selling this stuff. Is it me or is Richard E. Grant kind of sexy like this? That's well, just you. you. I mean, he is wiggly. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's practically like one of those floppy things that you see outside of uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wacky, wavy arm, flailing tube man? Yeah, tube man, tube man, tube man. He's like a predecessor to Tom Hiddleston, you know, like a, like a young Loki. Oh, no. Whoa. No, That's an odd comparison. <laughs> He does not look, don't you think he looks a lot like Tom Hiddleston? Haven't you seen so the Loki like series? He plays older Loki in it. Seriously. Yeah, when he's dressed yeah. up in the original yeah, like, the Loki dressed... outfit from the oh, comics. Wow. Yeah. Yes, he, I remember that, yes. And he goes down going, glorious purpose! <laughs> At least it's not his special purpose like in The Jerk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the boss of the agency wants an advertising campaign and time is running out. Dennis has been assuring everyone that he has a real crackerjack idea, which he would be more than happy to explain in just a few more days. Time for a break, Dennis. Perhaps a mental break. He meets with his lovely wife, Julia, for lunch at an upscale restaurant. And if there's one thing you know, it's that Richard E. Grant, when losing his mind, is definitely going to make a scene in any eatery you can throw at him. Shades Despite of withnail here a bit. Despite Julia's attempts to get him to just slow down and take a break, Dennis is having none of it. Any other body part would have been fine. He could sell any product for any malady, real or imaginary, but boils, he's got nothing. Tellingly, he points out that it makes no difference to him if the product works or not. After all, no company actually wants to get rid of boils. They're excellent money spinners. Selling a cure is a dead end, but selling the hope of a cure, now that's good business. Chilling but true. Mm -hmm. Oh, very much. Julie reminds him that he needs to get his head together in time for their dinner party tonight. Oh, how middle class. She's definitely noticed the mountain paranoia. She tries to calm him down by reminding him of similar creative problems he had before with other gross medical products, like his terrible trouble with piles. That's hemorrhoids, right, Andy? Yep. Other diners start to pay aghast attention as he goes into detail, screaming that he did not have any trouble with piles. Piles were a birthday present compared to boils. Once he, he got somebody a birthday present of piles. Here you go. Here's your piles, little Timmy. Open her up. Now I know what I'm gonna get Andy. Gifts from Grandfather Nurgle. <laughs> it's that regular visit from the fuck you fairy. You could also get him dandruff or breath. Those were just as easy. The hinges are starting to come off. Make no mistake. After lunch fails to calm him down, Dennis has no choice. He has a big meeting with his boss. On the way, he can't help but stare terrifyingly at a boil on the face of a girl in the lift and he's no longer even trying to look normal about it. Not that his boss notices anything amiss. The boss, Mr. Bristol, isn't really paying attention. 
He has a marvelously 1980s phone headset aerial thing with little antennas and whatnot. He's having two conversations at once. Good work ranting to the junior advertising people earlier, he tells them. They complained about it, of course, but they needed a stiff talking to. However, the pimple cream account needs dealing with ASAP. Dennis promises absolutely that he has a big plan and a big idea to present and will be ready just another weekend. As long as that's true, which it isn't, Bagley isn't in trouble, which he is. I know, you know, I kind of thought this guy who plays his boss, Mr. Bristol, initially I thought he was the same guy who plays Holly and Red Dwarf, but then I realized it wasn't. No, 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 it's uh, Holly and Red Dwarf as Norman Lovett. This is another famous comedy actor who's been in tons of things over here. He's a very well-known face. I sometimes wonder if that boil he sees on the girl in the elevator is actually his imagination. Like, it's manifesting already in his mind. Mm -hmm. What's real and what's in his head is getting well, blurred. Crazy. It's all actually happening. Mmm. That's, that's what they all say. Oh, and one more thing. Just a little favor, really. The boss asked Dennis uh, to come up with a... The boss asks Dennis to come up with a pitch for an instant dinner while he's at it. Dennis asks what kind of instant dinner. Boil in the bag. And just for a moment, Richard E. Grant demonstrates what it looks like when someone simultaneously manifests their own soul and accidentally swallows it. His expression is a thing of beauty, and even the half-present Mr. Bristol wonders if everything's okay. It's not. Dennis flees. Dennis has boils on the brain. He can't stop thinking about it going over and over and over the problem in his mind. On the train ride home, he randomly spouts out, what about large, blind, fat girls with boils? And the people sharing his carriage aren't impressed. Dennis is riding home in a big train with a big cross section of society sitting near him. There's an Irish priest standing in for the moral majority, an intellectual type with large glasses and a bow tie who represents the fossilized academic elite and a fellow businessman in a pinstripe suit. Oh yeah, I don't know why I didn't pick up the allegory on this. It's pretty, anyway, yeah. You'd think they'd want someone young, isn't that who they're selling acne cream to? Yeah, young and well, no, young people don't go on trains. They stay at home laying about lazily and picking up the dole. Uh, it's the uh, 80s. Uh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> the, the point of the Irish priest standing in for the moral majority you know the the intellectual the intellectual class, and then you know uh, academically. Like I just Maybe didn't. That's, uh, yeah, that's who that, he's that, used to selling to, but that's not who's buying pimple cream. No, as in like because this whole thing is is taking place. Well, no, as, I, as I a understand series your point. I was just adding. Oh. <laughs> but also, so there's been a big story in the newspaper about a big drug bust, and they casually discuss it. The newspaper insinuates that a drug orgy was broken up where there was heroin by the bushel and at least one young girl wearing peanut butter for a bra. So I'm going to give you a lot of support. Well, I was going to say, becomes... like, wouldn't they all be, like, laying around on the nod? Why would they think that people would be engaging in an orgy if they're all, you know, if, if, if they're all anesthetized into a stupor? It's the 80s. People still didn't really understand drugs. They're like, oh, <laughs> drugs bad. Drugs make you crazy. They didn't know the difference between each. These are peanut butter bra people. You can't tell what they're up to. No, 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 no. Listen, drug-fueled orgy and drug-induced stupor. You can do both at the same time if you're dedicated. Well, not everybody See? was speedballing then, but Zach, this is the era that produced Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Don't tell me they didn't know how drugs worked. No, they I'm, knew how to take the, them. The casual train-riding newspaper reader was not a connoisseur like like our friend Daniel who knew the, you know, ins and outs of every single kind of drug. 
Exactly. So just, just the say general no. populace hears drug and they just assume whatever. These people grew up with like reefer madness. <laughs> oh, I love that film. <laughs> it's a good film. I grew up with the Dare program. Yes. So some people knew the ins and outs. When this is the era when people were thinking about Nancy Reagan and uh, Margaret Thatcher making out while talking about Just Say No. Yeah. Uh. There's an image you'll never be able to get rid of now. You're welcome. Uh, oh, there's my next wet dream. <laughs> Daniel, please. <laughs> oh, my God. I think that was one of the pop-ups in the Necronomicon. <laughs> Hold on a second. Was anybody wearing a peanut butter bra in that? <laughs> No. Uh, yeah, actually. I think it'd be more of a bralette. Horrible, it's not horrible. giving you much... Well, oh, sorry. It's, not, it's still edible. Well, I think that's kind of the point. Yeah, so it's not going to waste. you got to have some pretty perky tits, though, if you're going to do that. Otherwise, it's just, you get peanut butter everywhere. That's kind of the point. Do you want it everywhere, though? I think you only want it strategically placed. Let's talk about boils again, please. Dennis sets them all straight. Dennis becomes increasingly irate. All that was actually discovered was a little bit of cannabis, you know, weed. The papers are using classic advertising tricks to imply that the story is far bigger than it actually is. He explains to them how it's done, how their perceptions are being manipulated into believing whatever the newspapers want them to. And once again, he's getting manic. Dennis is starting to see the big lie. A lie that surrounds everyone all the time, and he's realizing that he's a big part of the big lie. He announces that he's an expert on these things. He's an expert drug pusher. He's an expert on tits and peanut butter. He's a pusher, all right, and pushers like to protect their pitch. Make everyone fear cannabis, and you can sell them more cigarettes. Uh, Brother Ethan, so this is actually kind of where I think that allegory clicked for me, right, is once they launch into the argument about it, you have to have one person to represent each of the standard, like, sects of society to yeah. say, like, oh, I am the moral majority. Here is how they respond to such ridiculousness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. goes all the way back to Plato. Plato did most of his shit in a cave, so, you know. That's Plato's right. shit in a cave? Oh, wait, no, was that Aristotle? <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, okay. No, it was Plato, because I like the Plato fun factory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, keep that there. Obviously, this alarms his fellow passengers, and they decide to get the fuck off this train at the next stop. But Dennis assures them that getting off at the next stop won't help them. In fact, he's the only one who has any answers because he can see it all clearly now. Which is what the sanest of the sane always say, right? I can see say, clearly right? now my brain no is gone. No singing. No singing. I'm not crazy. No singing. It's gonna be a long, long. Uh, Lobotomy. I would throw something at him if I wasn't chained to this stupid chair. Anyone else's manacles itch? Mine itch. For reasons perhaps best not explained, Dennis announces grandly that he's had an octopus squatting on his brain for the last fortnight. But now he sees the truth. He's the only one who can help. The person pushing the answer never has any interest in solving the problem. That's the point. He accuses the priest of being in the same game selling hope to people on their deathbed. If there were no death, the clergy would just get into real estate. The nice, respectable members of the public decide that now is the appropriate time to run the fuck away from an obvious madman. But Dennis feels that he's making more sense than ever before. He's had a big revelation. Yeah, 
that would work so well when you're not chained up to a chair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shut up, the chains are part of it. Yeah. Ah, it's an immersive art experience. We're, we're <laughs> art with a silent especially out. captive audience. We've already had too much weird art on this crazy train. Don't make me fetch the car battery and crocodile clips. I hope He's this crazy- up the rails on crazy train. No singing. <laughs> hey, speaking of people just sitting around doing nothing, is this reminding you of anything? Andy? Andy! Uh, is he even listening? Where is he, anyway? My guess is the projectionist booth. Any idea how we can get out of this? We complete the conflict, and he lets us go, right? I mean, how long can you keep us here? Uh, how long is this goddamn film? I can't take any more boil talk. We need to figure out a plan. If we don't nip this in the bud, he won't stop here. We'll be watching experimental 10-hour art house flicks until he runs out of super aesthetic bullshit to show us. And you know what they say about super aesthetic bullshit cinema. There's always more of it. Right! So, what do you think he's doing up there anyway? I mean, if we figure out his plans, we can figure out how to fuck his shit all up. Mm, you might be onto something there. Uh, hold on. I'm gonna use my space power to get inside his head. You have space power? Yeah, like whenever I'm spaced out. <laughs> it's called empathy, and we invented it in 2007 around the same time as Tumblr. Okay, hold on, I need to concentrate. I'm putting myself in his shoes, metaphorically speaking. I mean, ugh, I've seen those feet. I don't know about this. It seems kinda new age voodoo nonsense. In my day, we expressed ourselves by taking bong hits and giving no shits. Quiet, she's muttering something. It's working. I'm Brother Andy. I'm super British. Everything I do is justified. My accent is super cool. Chicks. Definitely dig it. Uh, colonialism. Uh, the colonies. Pink, what would you be doing right now in this situation? I'm gonna make them all watch all the movies that I like. Then they'll be sorry. Yeah, we'll um, be sorry. I demand everyone agrees with me. I'm going to nip out for a cup of tea, make me a brew, and don't forget the bickies, you raisin-faced wanker. Wait, do you think Brother Methuselah is up there with him? It makes sense. Never trusted that guy. He, he just does what any of us tells him to do. Right, and I don't trust any of you. Fair. If we could just contact Brother Methuselah, maybe he could help us. How can we get a message out? Ha! Now it's my turn. Clark Nova, I summon you in accordance with our dark bargain. Are you crazy? 
That thing isn't a Pokemon like Pika. Ah, what the hell? Something crawled up my leg. I'm right here, Danny boy. Wait, you can just summon that thing out of thin air? That nonsense. I was lurking under the sheets the whole time. I didn't even stay on popcorn and licking up sticky old soda bottles with my horribly long tongue. Oh, shut up, shut up. I need you to take a memo. That's my second favorite thing to do right here. Okay. Two. Brother Methuselah from Cinemania Society. Help! Help! Hey, hey, hey! I want to hear more summarizing, less screaming, and then more screaming. <laughs> Ooh, nice tea. Did you get the bourbon creams? They only had the crumbly custard ones. You failed me for the last time. <gasps> oh boy, we better get back to the movie, seeing as we don't have anything better to be doing. Well, I'll start the next summary. Back at home, Dennis no longer has any interest in behaving normally, and certainly not in behaving normally at a dinner party. His guests just want to have a normal dinner party conversation like lovely middle-class people do, talking about the pill and how estrogen in the water is affecting fish. One of their friends, a strident 1980s feminist called Penny, announces that men just don't understand, and soon insults are flying. Uh, the whole uh, going way like like the, didn't realize that the whole thing about Infowars the water is making the frogs gay. I was thinking the, the same thing. <laughs> oh God, it keeps going. Like I mean, you can go back to the whole communist thing about fluoride and the water. And... Well, I mean, yeah, about fluoride, but specifically about you know the estrogen changing oh, the oh, fish oh, being oh, like oh, the water is making yeah. the frogs gay. Yeah, no, I got you. That specific incarnation of of the conspiracy theory. Yeah. Yes. Oh, hey, it's me, Frog. Anyway. <laughs> oh, hi there. Dennis can no longer stand the middle-class hypocrisy. He doesn't object to Penny personally, but he can't stand the way she calls herself a vegan but eats fish. Fish is allowed, she demands. He can't stand the way everyone is happy talking about mung beans and the pill but can't stand to talk about anything real. As his insulted guests leave, he starts to snap again. He announces that he's seen the light, Brains are being laundered by the media, and he's going to do something about it. Sorry, oh wait, dear. Wait, there's this mention about the middle class. I, I, I'm, I'm this like this came across as very high class. What? Where did where did middle class come from? Oh no, these middle are middle class, class people. People weren't so. Yeah, the economy was a little better. Oh. Not just middle class in the '80s, but middle class in Britain, like where where class boundaries are. A particular way. So you know, middle class is we in the United uh, States because we don't believe we are a classist country, even though we are the most class-focused country in the world. <laughs> um, well, we uh, we we have the working class has been bamboozled into thinking that they're middle class. Mm. And what was these, that, Andy? these people are very wealthy, but they're middle class because they have employment. If they were upper class, then they wouldn't need to. Employment guarantees you middle. Oh, no, no, damn. meaning they have to work to to maintain their their status. They're not so rich that so they can just sit at home. This is no, we, we're we're having we're having a language issue here. So uh, what what we're actually talking about here, uh, uh, Alessa, is the bourgeoisie. Ah. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Awesome. Yeah, you gay communist frog. <laughs> right. 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 They used to call it middle class. Now what we call middle class is like scraping by. 
then you have the bourgeoisie. Yeah. yeah, well, the, we still haven't acknowledged that the middle class has been cored out and the people who think of themselves as middle class really are still working class. It's always been that way. It's just that the, the working class in this country, in the United States, has been thoroughly propagandized into thinking they're middle class when in fact they are not. Yes, but any opportunity to say bourgeoisie. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. you know what's funny is that this entire sequence reminds me of a joke, which goes like this. Do you know how to tell if somebody's vegan? Um, Don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> Damn I know a lot of vegans, and 100% true. <laughs> uh, man. Um, by next morning, the first stage of Dennis' big plan is in full swing. His wife comes downstairs to find Dennis tearing apart every product in their lovely home, nude except for a cooking apron and wearing a plastic bag on his head. He explains he has quite reasonably decided to destroy everything that is worthless, all the advertised crap they've surrounded themselves with. He heads up to the bathroom where he's intent on drowning the Hoover and forcing chicken down the toilet. It all makes perfect sense now, he happily explains. I love this sequence so oh much. My God. This is what my brain looks like. <laughs> uh, so, all right, so not gonna lie, I may have empathized with this scene quite a lot. Um, like, this is exactly how you feel, if nothing else, when you live in New York City. <laughs> 400 square foot apartments. Like, no, seriously. I, I had to get rid of so much crap. Because, like, every year you're just moving from one apartment to the next. And you very quickly are like, okay, what's actually valuable? I came out to California, and then I got a house. It's like a decent-sized two-bedroom, three-bathroom house. And it has a 500... Bedroom, uh, 500 square foot New York City walk-up apartments worth of stuff in it. Uh, Hang on, three, <laughs> three bathrooms? Like what? Three bathrooms? How many craps can you no, take? No, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> wow, I got it backwards. Oh, I wish. That would be so cool. No. <laughs> oh, no. Best typo ever. No, um, no. If, uh, Ethan can attest to this. Like, my house looks like a cereal. And I just have two. I mean, one doesn't? <laughs> Fair. Fair. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I love sitting in the middle of the floor of your living room because there's nowhere to sit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, rolling up. Julia takes the view that he is not, in fact, being totally reasonable. In fact, Dennis is so worked up by his big idea that the stress has given him a big boil right on his neck. Oh, well, these things happen, right? No need to slow down. At work, Dennis explains that advertising is all wrong. Everything they have been doing is wrong. Warning people about cigarettes that may cause cancer? Nonsense. They should be promising cancer, insisting that cigarettes will cause it. Once again, Dennis is calmly asked whether perhaps he is being a little irrational. And since this is full-on berserk Richard E. Grant, they're being very... They're being very right. nice to him because he's quite clearly deranged well, at this he's point. So very, very well, British. And I, and I, I, you know, here's the thing. They're so British and polite that they can't just come out and say it. I, I know, right? But I do have a question. So I was still relatively young when this film came out. Uh, I didn't see it in the theaters or anything. Um, where was the conversation on cigarettes and cancer around mid 1980s? Does anybody know? This was the well, late uh, 1980s. The, it was yeah. The, it was like an open secret that they were almost certainly bad for you, but there was still a, a good proportion of people saying, "Oh, my grandmother had cigarettes till she was 90, and she was fine. There's no 
teach the controversy. We shouldn't be just assuming they're bad. Yeah, this that's the thing. I wasn't quite sure how controversial this part of the film was. I mean, everyone, everyone knew they were bad for you. Yeah. Daniel, the big tobacco wars really. Well, maybe not so much controversial, but like, where was this one like speaking truth to power? Like, where was it calling things out that people weren't openly talking about yet? That was kind of what I was curious about. That that wouldn't happen until maybe about ninety three or ninety four. That's what I thought. Because that's when sure. Philip Morris and uh, like R. J. Reynolds and all the really big stuff had all those. There was all the really big congressional hearings, and finally yeah. they were you know they had some really really big court cases that that came down at least here in the U. S. That came down uh, finally after all the appeals were ended, and they were basically said you know they they had to say that yes this that they had added nicotine to make people um, so. Yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering because I remember that very clearly. Yeah, uh, but that wasn't like, until the that wasn't until right. the the, the uh, early to mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, it was like kind of I remember that kind of around the same time, honestly, as like the first Gulf War. But like yeah. Brother Andy, so what was it like in Britain, like in like nineteen eighty nine when this film came out? In terms of like, was it like oh my god, they're like calling out cigarettes, or was it like uh, yeah, no shit? The knowledge that it cigarettes and cancer were connected, it was been known since the 60s. Well, everyone knew cigarettes were probably lethal and it was an open secret that they were terrible. And the, the society was starting to turn away from smoking everywhere being just normal and acceptable. But there were still cigarette advertisements everywhere. There were billboards. There were, it was just before cigarette advertising became banned altogether. Oh, I, no, cigarette? Advertising didn't get banned until like. Oh yeah, over here, they, you couldn't you couldn't advertise cigarettes. So they banned it in England sooner. They banned um, cigarette advertising here in like the mid '90s, like after the congressional hearings. Anyone yeah, else cause... remember the Joe Camel bucks? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry, that was a very long. Uh, no, it's a it's a digression we're talking about because I mean the advertising industry was was complicit in in the tobacco industries reaching of people. I mean it, this is that topic, you know. So it's we're very, we're yeah, this is, this is very topical when the movie came out. So. Yeah, yeah. Like cigarettes were in the it were in the zeitgeist because you know finally they were making some headway on getting you know getting a major industry to acknowledge it. Um, which the lessons that got learned by the oil industry, by the big tobacco wars and the, the stuff that they eventually had to admit, they, they, they took a page, they, they saw how big tobacco lost and they're like, we're not going to lose the same way. So big oil basically, it would have been better if, if big oil had been in the place of big tobacco, um, as much as it sucks for human life. Uh, anyway, you get where I'm going. Yeah. Can, yeah. Those are the pieces you can put it together. Mr. Bristol thinks it's all just a case of stress. He himself had a tough time in his younger days dealing with an advertising campaign for electric heaters, which ended up with him convinced he was going to explode into flames at any moment. But a short rest later, and he sold more of those electric heaters than ever. And all Dennis needs a little break away from all. Shirley. Wow, so psychosis is just a part of the job. He's Dennis, not Shirley. Hmm. Nice. <laughs> Dennis agrees that he needs some time off, which is why he's resigning in order to spread his revelation to the world any way he can. Even if it means marching down the street with a sandwich board. That, his boss points out, would just be more advertising, wouldn't it? Suddenly, the boil on his neck gives Dennis a flash of pain. He puts it down to all the poison and lies leaving his body, which might well be foreshadowing. Yes, maybe. Is he detoxing? 
is a foreshadowing of that. <laughs> By the evening, something is wrong with the boil. It's getting big, a great big boil, a great big nasty boil with hair on it, and nothing seems to work. Dennis tried poking and prodding it, wetting and drying it, insulting and yelling at it, and finally putting mustard on it. I've heard of putting toothpaste on a zip, but never mustard. Yeah, is that uh, is that an actual old wives' remedy? Yes. Mustard compress, mustard plasters, it used to be used. No. But specifically for, like, boils and other pus-filled type things. Well, oh. mustard in a, in a plaster used to be a general antiseptic, so anything that was infected, you might get a mustard plaster on. But God. not the way he's doing it here. <laughs> no, you don't actually put mustard from a jar, but you can... No, I, you can Think, think, well, think about how wasabi works, right? Which oh. is really just, you know. You know, I've heard it works a lot better if you turn the mustard into a gas. Uh, I'm rolling my eyes nope, nope, at you nope, virtually. Nope. Okay, carry us onwards. Sadly, they only have French Dijon mustard with herbs, and that doesn't do much. Julia wants to sleep, but Dennis realizes that he needs to get to work making his plans immediately. Whatever Dennis gets up to, it tires him out, because when morning comes, he's asleep in an armchair in his home office. Something seems to be a little wrong with Dennis. While he's sleeping, literal cartoon birds flutter about, talking about advertising. But he doesn't have time for any of that. Dennis doesn't have time for much of anything, because when he goes to the bathroom to examine the boil, he sees to his absolute horror, it has grown a little face. A little face that can talk. Hiya, handsome, it says. And that's about all poor Dennis can take. So he runs screaming into the garden in just his pajama pants. That was a big surprise. It's going to be a big day for Dennis. I really actually got a, a I thought it was really funny how they have that great big organ thing. Um, like this really intense organ music when, when he goes to inspect his boil. It, the face is awesome, though. I love the visual effects and, like, the puppetry on the face. The boil is voiced by the director as well. Oh, really? Oh, wait, really? Oh, it reminds me a lot of, like, the labyrinth. Oh, yeah. You had a very different viewing of the labyrinth than I did. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. And, like, the faces and the walls and stuff like that. Also flashback to Total Recall. <laughs> yeah, it, it reminded me more of Total Recall, to be honest. Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> Start the machine, Quaid. Man, we gotta get all these guys together. Just start like a, a gross puppet playgroup with Clark uh, Nova and all these guys. <laughs> Julia summons a doctor immediately while Dennis is running around screaming about the boil, the boil, and the little face and how it spoke to him. Notably, Dennis is the only one who sees anything except for a large, unsightly boil. By the time the doctor arrives, Dennis has become exactly as bad as before and a chase around the garden with a big sedative needle ensues. Once Dennis is tucked away for a nice long nap, the doctor discusses next steps. This is one of those few movies where they don't actually give him a shot in the neck. I know, I was amazed. They actually like stuck him in the butt. It was, it was amazing. I, I stood up, I, I would have stood up and cheered if I wasn't like strapped to this fucking chair. <laughs> Now, well, we do like a certain realism in our films. A highlight of the film for me. I wonder if what he got was as good as what we just um, got. The, because like at this point, this is when we really start to, I guess, 
have some mounting evidence that it's like all in his head, which I kind of see what they're getting at, but it kind of comes across as like the age old, like, ooh, he has a mental illness, which is like, what the fuck? Like, can we just not do that? Can we just like have like the boil is literally just this creature rather than just kind of going for like a kind of tired ableist narrative of just like, ooh, mental illness, bad. It's like, ugh, come on. But, but that's that's the point is that everybody else, rather than like, he's, that that's the point though, is that he's not actually crazy. Okay. Right? But everybody mm -hmm. else is treating him like he's crazy. True. He's this, you know, he, he has become the one sane man in a crazy world. That's kind of the point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I will say, I think this is definitely one of those early movies that does, that does the, is he crazy or not thing, like, which is so popular. I know I've written plenty mm -hmm. of sophomore guess, stories yeah. of that sort. I guess it kind of just like the more ambiguous it is, the better, as opposed to just being like the kind of tired out creepypasta thing, whether it's like, ah, oh, yes, they are, there is just something wrong with them. It's like, cool, great, awesome, thanks. There's definitely a lot of ambiguity here of, uh, is it real, is it not, is um, it, is it a... Is it real or is it memorized? The scene when his, uh, Boyle smokes a cigarette, <laughs> that for me said, uh, this is actually <laughs> happening right now. It should be. All Boyles should smoke. I love when he tells his wife, I'm not smoking it, I'm just holding it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, for what it's worth, um, it it definitely does like have plenty of that, you know, somewhat ableist thing that was very popular back yeah. in the like '70s and '80s of like just pick your random like kind of body horror grotesqueness of like I don't know if anybody reads much Salman Rushdie, but it's like every single one of his books, his main character has some kind of deformity, just period, it's, it's the thing he does, um, and that was like kind of all over the place at the time. Um, and it was just, it was just a weird thing that was part of the surrealism of the time, I guess. I don't yeah. know if there's any better explanation for it than that. Real. And there's ways to tell that narrative for sure, but I guess like my first instinct going into this is just like, all right, where are we going with this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Clearly, there is some kind of psychotic break happening, and removing the boil could only make things worse. After all, they don't know who Dennis believes the boil is. It could be anyone. And it might not do him much good if they just kill it. For all we know, he might think they lanced his mother. Until Dennis has seen a mental specialist, the doctor decides the best thing to do is stay calm and note down anything the boil says. That is, anything Dennis says that he claims the boil says. And if Dennis won't go along with the idea, they may have to put him away. Once he's had a nice little rest, Julia tries to calm Dennis down with a nice cup of tea. That is sounding very ironic right now. And some dinner. But when she's not looking, the boil starts talking. It speaks in advertising lines, asking her if she's embarrassed by her false teeth or whether she'd like a trip to France. Dennis tries to cover it up by pretending he's just talking about things that happen to be on his mind, but Julia knows something is going on. Dennis tries to assure her the voice is coming from his boil and this doesn't go down well. Julia thinks it's not the boil. Julia thinks that it's him talking, but Dennis won't be persuaded. Maybe the boil wants to go up Eiffel Tower and see the sights. Hasn't she considered that? Julia is having none of it. It's time for a psychiatrist, like it or not. You know, in her defense, it's just like, whenever the boil is speaking or something, it does like, 
He does like turn his head away and stuff so you can't see whether his mouth is moving or not. And that's what she accuses him of. He says, it's not me, it's the yeah. boil. And she says, oh yes, and every time the boil's talking is when you've turned away or you yeah. looked down or you're down on the under the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, they're giving all the people around him the excuse to believe that he's making it up. Because if they saw the boil talking, then obviously they'd say, oh, he's actually got a talking boil. Then they'd address things differently. But because none of them have seen it speak or heard it properly, they have every reason to believe that he's making it all up. Well, and he keeps it covered. Yeah, they won't bother looking at it and coming to their own conclusions either because it's not in their best interest. It's that whole thing with, uh, you can't get a person to understand you if his paycheck is dependent upon him misunderstanding you. You can lead a fish to drink, but you can't give a man... A horse? Every day. (laughs) (laughs) I think you had too much of the tea. Fetch this, poison that, lace the tea with whatever. It never ends. Hey, I got a message for you. Me? For me? Perhaps it is finally my response to my angry letter to the Northwich Examiner about the state of our salt mines. Just read the thing, idiot. <laughs> yes, yes, I see. From the Cinemania Society. Oh, that's nice. Hmm, it's just the word HELP, spelled with 17 E's and 47 P's. Oh, transcribing. You try having a keyboard for a face, pal. Very well. I want you to take a memorandum. Yeah, fine. Dear Cinemania Society, thank you for the suggestion. I would like some help immediately. Brother Andy has gone completely insane. He keeps going on about more biscuits, but I only managed to find some hobnobs and a ginger nut, and I fear the wrath to come. Please send help immediately. You realize we might be the only thing standing between our pallies down there and unimaginable horror. Perhaps you're right, and it's time to take some action. I have a question. I'm prepared for disappointment here. Is it too late to join another cult? Perhaps we could review the latest offerings from today's playwrights on the wireless. Oh boy. so far, having decided to seek justice, no! finally getting a chance to pick a film. Mm-mm. Don't make me release the nerve gas. I have gases, all right? All right. The society has decided to take a nice little break to look at how to get ahead in advertising, a 1989 examination of anxiety and paranoia in the high-pressure world of advertising. Richard E. Grant plays a man on the edge, driven to the very brink of madness by his inability to think of a slogan for pimple cream. He has been driving everyone else around him crazy, and it certainly doesn't help that a huge boil that grew on his neck has now developed a face and started to talk. We rejoin our heroes as the conclave continues, and it will continue, or so help me, I'll start getting testy. Don't you have more than one testy? <laughs> uh-huh. Hey, hey, over, over here. 
Clark, Clark Nova, did you get the message to Brother Methuselah? Sure thing. Let's just say you probably shouldn't pin too many hopes on that donkey. I knew it. We need to figure our own way out of here. I, I don't see how. He used a cunning British knots to tie these ropes. Oh, they're, they're completely unfamiliar. There's no safe word whatsoever. Keep trying. Don't give up hope. You better not, assholes. Unnecessary pun work there, but it holds up. We just have to play along until we can turn the tables on that lunatic. You know all those assassin guys? I miss them. I know what you mean. They only wanted to kill us. They didn't have to show us surreal British cinema while they did it. <sighs> Great perilous times. Let's get back to the summary. Don't raise any suspicion. Well, let's get back to the summary. Don't raise any suspicion. Uh, <clears throat> I'll take this piece. Um, things have not exactly been going well for Dennis, and so he has decided calmly and reasonably to explain himself, because that always works. He starts recording a video message for Julia on a giant 1980s camcorder because, as we have established, talking first person into a camera when you're unhappy totally establishes the fact that you're sane. We see this on YouTube all the time. Uh, of course, he doesn't want the boil to hear what he's up to, so he's placed a wine carton around his head so it doesn't hear him. That's very reasonable. <laughs> Again, completely reasonable, because we all know that cardboard blocks sound. I mean, it can if you use it correctly. <clears throat> well, he starts to explain that something incredible and terrible is happening in the world, and television advertising is at the root of it all, and he is not wrong. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> uh, he only gets a short way into what looks like uh, a long and terrifying manifesto before the boil awakens, however. Um, we can't see the boil, but we can hear it, and we can hear its mean little voice interjecting when Dennis is trying to explain everything. The boil has a nasty feeling he was going to wake up to this. The boil thinks that Dennis is talking bollocks, of course, going on about how advertising has become a holocaust, but burgers instead of bombs. Ooh, speaking <laughs> of holocaust, did anyone else notice, like, in the background earlier, the placeholder name for the pimple cream was Final Solution? Like, they said they didn't have a name, but the placeholder on the ad copy was Final Solution. You've got to be fucking oh, shit. Yes. Seriously? Yes. Yeah. Uh. There's a lot of, of talk of bombs and warfare and comparing advertising to, to war. It's a, a very real illusion that they're making over and over. Yeah, but, yeah, but specifically, the use of the term final solution is very specific and really dark. No, wow, yeah, I did not see that. Well, I just want to point out something here, too, which is to say, yes, that's absolutely dark, and yes, that's, that is creepy af. But keep in mind, this movie came out in 1989, and the only other major war that, that uh, the Western powers had been involved in was Vietnam, which, you know, up, immediately after this movie came out, we got into Desert Storm. And, um, or actually, no, we got into the, the thing in Panama, um, and then Desert Storm or which started as Desert Shield in 1989, early 1990. So they kind of had to figure out how to repackage the war for an audience that was basically already like really skeptical of war because of what happened in Vietnam. And so they kind of had to, to turn it around and figure out how to sell it. So think about what was going on culturally at this time. Um, you know, you had all of the, the GI Joe toys 
being used to sell the Reagan era um, defense thing. And then kind of the similar tack that was taken with the, the, the Falklands War, you know, they, they, the Falklands, you, you can kind of look at the way the Falklands War was sold as, as, as a, a preview of the way that Desert Shield slash Desert Storm would be sold. War was definitely being sold to people at this time in history. It was being packaged and delivered on the news as being, you know, the righteous West interfering all around the world in correct ways. And even though there have been some slip-ups in the recent past, we're going to do it right from this point on. Yeah. So, very prophetic, I think. Anyhow, um, so the boil warns Julia that she should turn off the recording and burn it. Poor Dennis is cracked, and no mistake. This time the boil isn't just spouting adverts, it's actually conversing, and Dennis is finding this harder and harder and harder to handle. Um, in the end, Dennis begs the boil to shut up, but it won't, unless it's given a cigarette. Kind of reminds me of Clark Nova, actually. <laughs> Leave uh, my darling Clark Nova out of this. <laughs> uh, Dennis has no choice but to agree and heads off to find a cig for his boil, a uh, box on his head and everything. Boyle promises that it might be a nasty little bogey, a shanker, a moloch, but it would never break its word. A Boyle's word is its boily bond. And uh, you can take that to the boily bank. <laughs> so, scrambling around for a cigarette in the kitchen, Dennis is confronted by the housekeeper who is rather put out to see him prancing around with a box on his head. Dennis does try his best to explain that there's a good reason for all of this, perfectly rational, Completely good reason for all of this because, you know, that's something a sane person always says when they do something insane. No, no, there's a perfectly good reason for this. Well, he wasn't just uh, rumbling Julie... around like any part of the kitchen. He was in the housekeeper's purse, like in her purse, looking for the cigarette. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a problem. Uh, Julia comes in too, and she's more than willing to act like everything is completely normal if Dennis agrees to come along to a psychiatrist appointment. Finally, Dennis is going to get some proper mental health assistance. A very calm and reasonable psychiatrist as asks him as they whether had he in the late 80s. or. Um, but anyhow, um, the very calm and reasonable psychiatrist asks him whether he or the boil is going to explain what's going on, and that immediately gets on Dennis's nerves. As far as he's concerned, the boil should be lanced immediately, and everyone should ignore anything that it happens to tell. Uh, frankly, he points out he has only agreed to come down off the garage roof if someone promised to stab the little freak off his neck. Which I think this is a really key point too. I think it's this is this is again another a bit of allegory here. You know, like somebody is clearly pointing out, I have a health problem that needs attended. Nobody actually wants to attend it because they just they they think it's better if they don't. Yeah, in effect, they're over medicating here because. They, instead of treating this as a problem that can be dealt with physically by just removing the boil, everyone's decided that there's definitely an intense mental health problem that needs extreme exploration happening. Well, uh, once again, Dennis is given a chance to explain his reasons for his behavior, and he makes another speech. Advertising is Big Brother in reverse. Instead of watching us all the time, we watch it, and what's more, we do it of our own free will. Television could be the greatest instrument of communication since the wheel, but because of greed, it has become a force of brainwashing and oppression. Not that we know anything about that. Not that we analyze anything about that in this group. <laughs> nope, not at all. No, I have no idea what he's talking about. He's totally mad. Dennis is very upset that jungles are being leveled in order to farm more burgers and roads are covering everything. And he does have a bit of a point. And just to point out, the idea of we're being watched by advertising, to all the listeners at home with an Alexa listening right now, I'd just like to say, Alexa, subscribe to the Cinemania Society, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I have 
never heard an Echo device sound more bitterly ironic and, and sarcastic and grudging than when you ask it, Alexa, what is surveillance capitalism? <laughs> oh my yeah. God. That is very literally a thing we do right now and we pay to have it done to us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But the convenience uh, okay, so the creature comforts, it's all worth it in the end, isn't it? No. Yeah, well, I could tell this thing to, to play a song for me anytime I want to hear a song of whatever song I choose or radio when I choose, and it just gets to listen to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and, you know, broadcast it to somebody who, you know, somebody who works for Amazon. We, we just don't question, no problem. We just trust that this person's going to do the right thing with our, no. you know. Not, not listen when we don't want them to listen. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, uh, <clears throat> Dennis's doctor, being a psychiatric professional, the psychiatrist wants to know if Dennis is masturbating a lot, and Dennis assures him that it's pretty much constant. After all, <laughs> what else would anyone with a talking boil do? Don't worry, I ask all my patients this question. It's for science. Do you masturbate a lot? How much do you masturbate? With how much uh, <laughs> frequency? How much uh, friction are we talking about here? How forceful? Are you Describe properly? it in detail. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> you can't handle the lube. Get a grip on yourself. Come on. It's time oh. to take this problem in hand. Uh... <laughs> I know that's a hard joke to palm off on someone. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> this guy is not perhaps ta taking the boil all that seriously, because after all, the boil has mostly been spouting advertising slogans, so what does all that mean? Dennis feels that the boil is talking with the voice, which is to say the advertising voice. If you're selling toothpaste, the voice is a dentist. If you're selling perfume, it is a lover. More peeks behind the advertising curtain. Maybe the boil doesn't like being talked about because it finally speaks up. The psychiatrist obviously thinks that the voice is coming from Dennis himself, which it kind of is, but he wants to know what the Boyle has to say. The Boyle reveals that Dennis's grandfather had something of a funny turn in a zoo and apparently was found making sweet, bouncy, bouncy love to a wallaby. Oh, oh, Dennis, Dennis clarified that all he did was put his hand in the wallaby's pouch. We don't know whether it was a sex thing or not, but he said he just had his hand in its pouch. He's very clear about that. Well, uh -huh. uh, the... You know, mm -hmm. we know how the we, we know how you English are. Hey, even table legs turn <laughs> you on. Jesus. Well, you know, you have to admit that Americans were the same way during the Victorian era as well. If you want to hear some really funny stuff that, uh, on that same point, um, uh, Behind the Bastards just did a, uh, a couple of episodes about uh, the Holy Rollers, uh, sort of Victorian era uh, sex cult in Oregon, <laughs> which is really funny. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that was one of my favorite sex cults. <laughs> you ranked them all. But anyhow. <laughs> ranked 7 out of 10. <laughs> Naturally, Dennis is not happy having his family secrets spouted by a talking boil. If anything, he shows a lot of restraint, limiting himself to screaming at his own boil to shut up! The Doesn't really go down well with the psychiatrist when he starts yelling at his own skin complaint. <laughs> I don't think that would go down very well with anybody in a, in a medical field. Or anyone who has to interact with you. <laughs> uh, the psychiatrist feels that this problem ought to be faced head on. They need to have a look at the boil together and face up to it. He removes the crude bandages Dennis has been wearing and leads him to a mirror, obviously hoping that Dennis will see that it's just a harmless everyday boil and calm down. 
but it's far worse than that. The boil has grown and now has a fully formed tiny human face and hair and the fucker has grown a mustache. It's turning into a little second Dennis growing out of the side of his neck. This does not do anything to ease Dennis's state of mind and sadly Dennis is having some big feelings on the matter. So there's there's no this, one but this, Richard like, E. Grant who can really sort of announce the fucker has grown a mustache in quite that way. <laughs> well, there's this ambiguity about like whether it's just in his head or the boil's real. But if you notice when the psychiatrist takes the bandage off, when you see the reflection in the mirror, it is just a regular boil. They only show it for like half a second. You only see the boil. Mm. And then when they pull away from the mirror and we see Dennis's face and the boil, that's when we see little Dennis, which is... I mean, if you said Little Dennis, my first uh, thought would not have been that it was a boil. <laughs> mm-hmm. But. Well, clearly something has to be done. Dennis is taken into hospital. Only surgery to remove the boil will help him. The psychiatrist feels that the boil represents the dark side of his personality. The side of him that's bullying and cruel and sells soap and shampoo and shitty pimple cream. The boil has become his very own big brother and it has to go. And I don't think he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so subtle. Yeah, he's hit the nail on, this, on the head in, in his own way. It's almost like when you say the title of the movie in the movie. Right. Well, you know, once again, we have another example of Sob Tall Tea, which is really funny in, in a British film that they, that they are so unsubtle at these points. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Dennis wakes up in a hospital after being given a whopping dose of barbiturate to help him take it easy, and he has a little... He has a little time to wait before the surgery. You will relax and whether you like means... it or not. <laughs> Relaxation by force. Good thing. Well, barbiturate. Yeah, we. Uh, I'm surprised that Clark Nova has a scuttled in here. You seem to think that they haven't. I'm in here the whole time. The barbiturates are only in the movie, Clarky. Here, where's that Narcan? Where's that Narcan? <laughs> Is that for you or for Clark Nova? No, for Clark Nova. <laughs> oh, I found a bottle of something moist. Anyway, he has a little time to have things out with the boil at last. And as far as the boil is concerned, these are the last few hours they have together, so they may as well have a nice chat. Dennis is not in the mood to bury the hatchet and delivers all sorts of threats. The boil accuses him of being a communist because he wants to take people's lovely cars away and put them on trains. Communism bad. Well, I mean, isn't that what always happens when people point out, like, hey, look, uh, advertising, you guys are really fucking up people and really fucking up the earth, and all they do is accuse you of being a communist. Yeah, yeah. so they say the environmental movement is like a watermelon. It's green on the outside and red on the inside. What the f Yeah, you haven't heard that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not joking. I've seen people say that in earnest. <laughs> Yes, because anything that benefits the greater society as opposed to just the individual must be communism. God forbid well, we just want a better part, society right? in general. People start complaining about, yeah, people start complaining about socialism like, oh my God, you're just, you're just a socialist at heart. Next thing you know, we're going to have trains that just carry everybody around wherever they need to go for free that reduces the damage to the environment. And you're saying that people won't have to work. They'll just get like a roof over their heads and a basic income. And I'm like, yep. well, that sounds like a fucking party, guys. Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. And it's not like a fancy, you know, living it up income. It's a basic income. It's not die of starvation or cold income. You still want it. There's still incentive mm -hmm. to work and 
get better things. Instead of buy an iPhone. Well, how are you get? To, how else are you going to get people to to be so desperate that you know they're willing to work uh, really dog shit jobs and uh, yeah. or join you the know, military for, for for almost no money? You know, or put, or put themselves. Yeah, exactly. Or join the military. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, because so. studies have shown over and over and over again that people don't just sit around; they do things. Even mm -hmm. with like the studies of um, uh, UBI and all of that, that productivity and people doing things, trademark, uh, doesn't really change. Yeah, and it doesn't disincentivize just work. do the things that, yeah. I mean, it would me, but uh, I just want to sit on my ass and play video games all day. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, of course, if you were to, you know, if people weren't desperate, then they wouldn't be so easily manipulated. It's like exactly. the Mark said, you know, uh, <laughs> people who have given up hope are easy to control. Yes. Yes, I did just drop a never-ending story reference. Got him. Um, anyway, uh, so Dennis has a lot to say about cars and why cars are bad. They just consume more and more and make everyone more greedy. Uh, the Boyle, on the other hand, can't stand trains and thinks that's exactly what a communist would think. And I should point out, this was a very real debate happening in British society at the time of this film, because we just had a Tory government for about 10 years at this point, and one of their big things had been uh, doing down the train network, privatizing as much as they could, and closing down rail stations and moving everybody onto cars. It was a stated goal of the government to move people to be more of a car-based society and away from a train-based society. So the cars versus trains debate was very much of the moment at the time of this film. Wasn't this very much, this was just immediately post-Thatcher, wasn't it? Yeah. And yeah. it, was, it was this government that had basically decided they couldn't afford to keep up the, the government-owned rail network. It all had to be broken up and sold off and turned crap, basically. Of and we're course. still trying to put it back the way it was today. Oh, they're still, and they're trying to do that with, the, they've been doing that with the NHS, haven't they? They've been, uh, they'd they've like been, to. They, but they haven't been able to. The Tories have been after NHS since it was founded. They've been trying to do away with it entirely, and, and finally now they're actually kind of screwing things up badly. And like, if they can't do away with it entirely, then they'll do their best to screw it up the way they did with the, uh, the train system. Sounds like. But the, the the attitude of the boil is very much the attitude of the prevailing government of the day at this point. Um, anyway, it's time to take action, and the boil is finally strong enough to control first one, and then both of Dennis's arms. It starts to pulse and swell. It covers Dennis with bandages while it grows large enough to replace him entirely. Original Dennis is now reduced to a squirming lump, while Dennis's new head, complete with the mustache, is now ruling the roost. He celebrates by cramming his gob with fish fingers and ketchup, and somehow this is the most disgusting sight in the movie with the talking boil. Ugh. Uh, this actually really reminds me of the uh, uh, of that bit from Naked Lunch about the man who taught his asshole to talk that eventually takes over his old body and can't help but wonder if that was this movie was inspired by that a little bit. Mm. Can, can, can we just pause for a second and recognize just how clever the, um, the practical uh, like um, uh, cutaway was on this, right? Yeah. They did this whole thing with like basically stage theater tricks and it still kind of works like you can see exactly what they're doing yeah, it's, it's, well it's a, it's an, an incredibly committed performance from richard e grant very low budget special effects but everybody just goes with it and yeah it's it's 
pulled off exactly. Right, right. There's that one hidden cut where, like, he pulls the cloth far enough over his head, like, so that you can't see any Richard E. Grant. So that they can cut for a second and then switch him out with mustache, and then he comes back in. Yeah. Like, I thought it was great. I was, I was very impressed. With the <laughs> yeah, they, I agree. Um, that was pretty. Me cool. too. <laughs> Uh, soon enough, orderlies come, and it's time for surgery, but they're going to lance the wrong head. The new head is delighted and can't wait. Poor Dennis finally got his wish to get his boil lanced. He just wasn't expecting to be the one who would get the knife. Yeah, and as scenes of boiled bait, brainwashing body horror go, this is the best. And no one, no one checked his chart and noticed that it was on the opposite shoulder? And let me just say, uh... From, from all of my experience and friends of mine who do work in hospitals, that is totally a mistake that happens all the goddamn time. Oh. And most times they actually make the patient initial before they get anesthetized, initial which side is getting um, operated on, like which knee or which yes. shoulder or which elbow. You have to like, you use a Sharpie and you write on yourself, this elbow, not this elbow. Yeah. You can't be too careful. But maybe yeah, not no, in the so, 80s, so, they didn't uh, do that. Less than a decade ago, there was a really seminal book that came out about this um, new innovation that they implemented in uh, medical process in general in hospitals to try to improve and prevent this sort of bullshit from happening all the goddamn time. It's by Atul Gawande. It's a wonderful book. It's literally called The Checklist Manifesto, meaning a checklist. All they had to introduce was don't forget to check this every time. So it's just a check, like literally, and that's in the last 10 years. Prior to that, they weren't even doing a basic checklist. Oh, I mean, sure I have a cousin who had the wrong the knee right operated leg. on. We know all, I mean, I'm sure we mm -hmm. all know someone who's had this happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, also, it's also kind of like, you know, this, the accident is that the leftist head is the one that gets, uh, gets cut off. You know? Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. No, totally I mean, that's not accident. the... That's not the main point of the movie here is about medical malpractice or anything. It's just very funny aside. Yeah. That this actually happened in real life. Yet it keeps happening to the left. That, that's the thing that keeps happening. But it's all by accident, entirely. Just oh, yeah. accident. Yeah. What, did, what did Andy say, though? I said, as scenes of boiled, braced, brainwashing body horror go, this is the best. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In an extremely uh, specific subgenre. Well, it's a bright new summer day, and Dennis is back on form. He has ideas again, and he has a very big idea about how to sell pimple cream. It's risky, but the plan is just crazy enough that it might work. The problem isn't selling the cream. The problem is that there aren't enough pimples. Evil Boyle Dennis proposes a campaign to make boils and pimples and acne fashionable, and when the dust settles and the fad fades, there will be a gigantic new market begging for a fresh new pimple product. It's the idea of an insane, twisted brilliance, and of course, the clients get it up. Um, again, not wrong. This reminds uh, me of the whole like deal of, um, what was it, razor companies inventing the whole, like, ladies, you need to shave your everything and just to sell more razors, and it's like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. It yeah, just, women didn't used to shave worked. anything. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the concept of bad breath was invented because Listerine needed something to do with their product. Yeah, they even made up the word halitosis to make it sound more medical. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. 
Yeah, and then the same same thing with Dr. Scholes. They, you know, I've, I'm not sure if it was Dr. Scholes who invented bromidrosis, but that's the uh, that's the the the, the term feet? they came up with. They represent stinky feet, bromidrosis. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, it's it's easier to sell the solution once you've made the problem. Anyway, so if you like if you like Frank Zappa, yeah, Stinkfoot. They actually that song by uh, Frank Zappa. They mentioned bromidrosis. One of my favorite songs by, uh, by Frank Zappa, actually. Um, soon, Dennis is on a set helping to film an advert featuring a very 1980s post-punk rendition of My Generation as sung by a punkette with pimples. It's going to go gangbusters. Dennis is almost back to being his old self. Fancy suits, expensive wine. His wife barely has any reason to think anything is wrong. And their anniversary is coming up. And it's going to be their biggest and most middle-class party yet. Middle be bougie to the max. Bougie to the max, gag me with a spin. Oh, I don't feel so good, guys. Yeah, seriously, all this talk of paranoia and madness is a lot less fun when you've got an actual paranoid tosser up there going on about biscuits in the projection booth. This is why I only ever play long educational board games on my own. I am getting dangerously sober over here. Anyone got any vodka? I'd settle for a light liqueur or even a wine cooler at this point. No, seriously. I feel weird. Hey, Daniel. What do you say the side effects of the pheno... Whatchamacallit are again? The fentonarcolan. Uh, and, and it's night screams, green piss, violent hair, and the bulges. But that last one's super rare. I mean, you'd have to be allergic or something. Or, I think I'm allergic. Are, uh, are you growing? You, oh, you look bigger. This isn't good. Guys, this isn't good. Brother Daniel, what's going to happen next? Uh, you remember the ending to, like, every episode ever of the Power Rangers when the bad guy gets all big? Of course. We can use this. Either that or the ending to Akira. Uh, um, I'm gonna go with the first. Brother Zack, think large. But, but not grotesquely, swellingly, explodingly huge. Thoughts? I don't think this is gonna end well. When shut does up. it? Shut up, shut up. Keep going with the conclave. Don't let on anything's happening. I guess I can uh, take this part. <laughs> um, yeah, keep reading before you get suspicious. Penny the Almost Vegan turns up to help Julia with her party preparations, and Julia confides that Dennis doesn't quite seem like himself just yet. For one thing, she started having these, these bad dreams about Dennis's Boyle talking to her at night, warning her that she has to cut her husband's head off with a carving knife, and going on about some kind of important secret in Dennis's briefcase? The Dream Voice even told her the combination for the briefcase lock. What's more, Dennis has become sex mad and she's running out of headaches. You know what she's talking about, ladies. <laughs> Apparently the boil is taking full advantage of being behind the steering wheel as it were and it's freaking her out. 
<laughs> Soon, their horrible middle-class friends start turning up, and Julia warns them that Dennis is still recovering, and so in the event that anything unusual comes up, just try to act like everything is normal and try not to excite him. Oh my god, Meanwhile, so British. Oh yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, evil Boyle Dennis is making his own preparations. As he shaves, he talks to what's left of the Boyle, which used to be Dennis. He's looking very unwell after being lanced. He's not got long left. Evil Boyle Dennis makes it very clear that he's going to make sure no one ever finds out about Dennis's attempts to blow the lid on it all with his video recordings. And he's going to make sweet, sweet love to Julia. Maybe they'll have a newborn bouncing Boyle bee before long. Uh, fuck. <sighs> Dennis, now reduced to little more than a moaning, sickly little face, swears vengeance, but there's not much he can do. He barely even counts as much more than a rash at this point. Quaid! Quaid! <laughs> turn on the reactor. Open your mind! We gotta set up like a creepy puppet playgroup. <laughs> Get Clark Nova, this guy, and, and Quato all together. Yeah. Um, evil Boyle Dennis, which is now, I guess, my favorite name for a character ever. Ideas have been spreading. At the party, his boss at the advertising agency is blathering on about how good an idea it is to create a problem and then roll up with a solution. We were just literally talking about this. Um, Dennis is being called a genius now, but word is also getting around about his insatiable appetites. <laughs> Bloody Penny just can't keep her trap shut. Very... The, the gossip vibe is quickly traveling around. Oh, yeah. This. There's no gossip like middle-class gossip at parties. I... Uh, no middle-class white ladies? They ain't got nothing to do but talk. Because middle-class gossip won't stop. Woo -woo. True. I mean, also, it just... Uh, I can't... I can't with the middle-class stuff because, like, it does... This does not... I mean, I know that's because Overton Window and this and that and whatever, but, like, this is so high-class. I'm so... Uh, anyway. <laughs> bougie, bougie, remember, bougie. remember, bourgeoisie. Bourgeoisie. This is what the middle class is. This was. is not like, you, you, okay, you haven't, this only seems high class because you haven't seen what high class looks like. Like, we don't, you don't get to see it. And again, we grew up in a culture that has been saying for the longest time that everybody is middle class. It doesn't, if you're working class, you've been brainwashed into saying you're middle class. If you're upper class, you've been brainwashed into saying you're middle class. Everybody in America is middle class, but we're not. There are actually class distinctions. You can see them. It's just, we'll say blue collar or white collar. Yeah. Moving right along. Yeah, all right, Trotsky. <laughs> what are you doing with that ice axe? Get away from me. They all need to be put against the wall when the revolution comes. <laughs> in any case, evil boil. Dennis gives a speech, which is the sort of thing you do at these things, and the party is going very well indeed. Dennis proposes a toast to boils, acne, and blackheads. L'chaim! <laughs> <laughs> That's such a weird thing. I just, like, this moment, it's just like, I can't imagine being like just a kid that like had was brought along to this party and then you just hear this random adult stand up and start talking about boils and you're like when the fuck do i get to go home i didn't sign up for this shit <laughs> i hear standing with my fucking shirley temple just not even really aware of what's going on and this motherfucker just 
just like, where's my fucking Game Boy? Jesus. Well, it's like one of those those horrible corporate events where someone stands up and says, let's all raise a glass to the accounts receivable department. Oh, oh the accounts receivable, we couldn't do it without them. I mean, we couldn't, but... Oh. <laughs> anyway, everyone is gonna be so rich. Even Penny is feeling better now that she's eating meat again. Apparently, it's all about getting your vitamins and minerals. What kind of meat did Penny need? Oh, yeah. No, keep it going. What? Chicken to Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, never want to give up a chance to monologue. Evil Boyle Dennis supposes that he could sell hydrogen bombs to a committed anti-nuke friend of theirs because their bombs have a secret ingredient even the Soviets didn't think of. They're stuffed with peace. Love, <laughs> flowers, and, and, uh. The secret ingredient is love. I mean, that's how they tried to sell it. <laughs> no, this was genius. This was like a serious Don Draper moment. Oh, God, yes. It's weird, and it's, the love comment also just made me think of this, um, if y'all have watched um, Amazing Digital Circus, just like, I put in all the love I'm legally allowed to use. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> it's not entirely clear what he means, but come on, how much can you expect from an evil boil masquerading as an advertising executive? <sighs> it doesn't matter anyway. Whatever he says, people just... Uh, doesn't matter anyway. Whatever he says, people just think he's even more of a genius. Yes, yeah, so this is just uh, Elon Musk, but British and with a mustache. Uh -huh. I, I wouldn't say that this is an evil boy masquerading as an advertising executive. I think it's kind of the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think this guy's his his personality and molecules dispersed out into the into the ether and became Don Draper, Elon Musk, and uh, Loki. Yeah, or, or, or to cite yet another commercial campaign, I see your true colors oh, No singing. <laughs> <laughs> That's my job. Stay at your own lane, sir. But wait. There's more. What's this? A little voice out of thin air insulting the guests? Could it be? Yes. The last gasp of boil-faced Dennis squeaking out from under a tuxedo. Evil Boyle Dennis isn't going to put up with this and immediately takes action. His evil plan is to make sure that Dennis has to sit there incapable of stopping him when <laughs> the shagging begins. Ugh. All I can think of is that scene in um, Family Guy where they're making fun of British porn and the guy's just standing straight still over his wife. Almost. Almost. Oh, there it is. Oh, yes, I am arriving. <laughs> 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 so, he quite sensibly finds a tube of superglue and uses it to shut Dennis up, sealing his teeny little mouth. Gobble up that goo. You gobble it up. That's so, it's so sad. It's such a horrible thing to do. At it's least. a real cask of a Montelado kind of scene. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> to celebrate his victory, evil Boyle Dennis heads back into the party and invites a random friend for a close dance. Yeah, this this part really was like, what guy's completely gone off the deep end. 
Um, snuggling against evil Boyle Dennis's shoulder, the woman hears something, a tiny voice, moaning about how Julia's in danger while evil Boyle Dennis delights in pointing out that she appears not to be wearing... <sighs> yep. Appears not to be wearing a bra under her dress. Ah, yes, that's... <coughs> that's exactly... That's exactly... Yeah, that's, that's exactly what someone wants to hear. Just like... Oh, Real oh, smooth guy, this evil boy, Dennis. Oh, yeah. yeah. What the fuck? When Dennis starts whispering about how she has to get away before the rampant... Oh, my God! I... I think I just sealed this scene away in my mind. <laughs> the the tiny... Like... The, the boil thing, the good... E Dennis Boyle thinks that he's talking to Julia. Because they mentioned earlier this woman is wearing the same perfume Julia usually wears. So right. the boil's all covered yeah. up. So he thinks it's Julia, and he's trying to <sighs> warn her about what the boil's going to do. But this guy's actually dancing with the guest. You know, so it comes off extra creepy. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, when Dennis starts whispering about how she has to get away before the rampant fucking starts, it all becomes too much and the poor woman screams and insists on leaving. Everyone suspects that Dennis is having one of his little turns again and the party breaks up. What a fucking, like, God, this guy. Oh, just one of his little turns. Oh, yes. Hey, you ain't a bra under there. Come on. It's like, just a little bro. quirky, right? Listen, all I, all I can say is, could you just imagine if uh, this this uh, had been made a lot earlier and it had been the inspiration for like when Jerome Bixby wrote the Mirror Mirror episode of Star Trek and this is how we saw good and evil Spock? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Fuck Logic dictates that undergarments would not be viable with that dress. So am I might just surmise that she no, but this is basically bra. what's going on, right? <laughs> Even down to how like the only physical difference between good and evil is like the facial hair. Oh yeah. yeah. Yep, that is an <laughs> evil mustache if I've ever seen one. That, is, that started the whole trope of you know beards are evil, <laughs> facial hair evil. Yeah, version. exactly. Uh, no, so I don't if... think Star Trek started that trope. I mean, that started in the fifties with the you know Lennon had a beard. <laughs> oh, oh, it goes, it goes back way further than it that. It always but, goes but, back to McCarthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this goes back to, to like silent films and like the old westerns and stuff. But, but yeah, no. Yeah, it, the it mustache a, twirling bad guy. Right. It, it's a popular trope. Uh, I do love it. The, the evil twin with the facial hair. Right. Which is also funny that we've come back also to the idea of, you know, the mainstream talking about like, you know, men need to wear facial hair, you know? Um, yeah, you, know, you see this in all of the, the yep. traditional like trad west crap. You know they're always de depicted with yeah. uh, the Nazi haircut, but also with a massive beard and mustache. Oh, no. you know why though, right? Oh no. Because they can sell you products for your beard. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that's a big part of it, but it really more has to do with the whole point of showing a proof that you know you're a man. Oh, man. Was, um... Ethan, Ethan, that's just advertising. <laughs> Big Beard I, is trying to get you. I thought it was a reference to like the the more like Abrahamic traditions, but because of a lot of that, a lot of that culture, and I hate that I've like been watching that train wreck for so long, just like observing from afar. But like it very much has that kind of root in fundamentalism kind of vibe, mm -hmm. where it's like you know you grow your beard out and this and that, and it's derived from the Abrahamic text for some reason. But I 
No, no, I no. I think you're you're onto something. I mean, we yeah. have been spending most our lives living in an Amish paradise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the... <laughs> you got me. <laughs> I didn't see you. Fundamentalists of many yeah, many religions grow their facial hair out. There is also a, a class reading of this as well, because if you go back to the 30s, Bustaches specifically were associated with the working class, and so people mm -hmm. who wanted to see middle class maybe wouldn't have one or would have a different style of moustache. It very much said what class you are. Then the moustache went away for all of the sort of 60s and 70s. They wanted to get away from that. Now we're in the 80s, and so the moustache has come back into fashion from being out in the wilderness for these decades. And so it's a sign of, again, him being the new modern man because he's got so a neatly trimmed moustache. It shows that he's a, uh, he's a thrusting executive. No. Yeah, I was about to ask about that, like specifically from the British perspective, because it was around this time, at least in the US, the moustache was making a comeback in certain respects where it was like, if, if you had the, um, you know, like the Magnum PI style moustache, that was like, a laudable working class look, but it was definitely still kind of like working class. Yeah, it, it was coming back though, and people who wanted to ape that look of, of being like uh, very, um, well, that, that was on the very left relevant side. and very with it. We're well, bringing back the mustache in this class. Oh, okay. I mean, that was what was going on, on the left side of the pond. I don't mm -hmm. know what what you know mustache styles were like going on on your end. It was I'm definitely, like, yeah, it was definitely a middle manager, sort of, uh, I'm, I'm getting ahead with my career kind of a uh, mustache. That, that totally jibes then. Okay, yeah. Because that's in fact what I, evil Boyle Dennis is doing. Yeah, I blame Holland Oates myself. <laughs> I blame Tom of Finland. <laughs> I got that, okay. <laughs> All right, so after... Oh, Dennis, he's just having one of his silly old turns, or he just asks people if they're wearing underwear or not. Um, while, <laughs> while helping friends with their coats and bags, Julia finds a briefcase, and someone offhandedly mentions that it belongs to Dennis. He had left it at work and they'd brought it over. Could this be the same briefcase that Julia has been having weird dreams about? That night, she just has to know. She starts whispering at the sleeping Dennis, trying to get the Boyle's attention. After everything that's happened, she might actually be ready to believe something is up with the pustule. Is it the Boyle talking, or all just Dennis muttering in his sleep? No matter, she hears a tiny voice answering her. She uses the plastic hose of a hoover to listen in closely. Conveniently, <laughs> this keeps up the fact that no one but Dennis actually ever sees the Boyle's gross little face close up. She asks where he has hidden the briefcase, and in the, dead, and in the dead of night, she finds it, and inside the briefcase, a video cassette, the one that Dennis had been recording for her earlier before he accidentally boiled his head. You know what I liked about this scene is when she got the hose and like put it there and she's listening and she goes, hey, pustule, what do you got to live for? And she presses on it and it goes, true love. Oh. <laughs> oh. No, he clearly said, too brave. <laughs> Just watched that movie last night with my kids. Kids, ask your parents, they'll explain it. <laughs> Unless you have great parents like me and you've seen it. Um, oh, just also this is quick pointing out that the, the, the I Love Boils sticker on the back window <laughs> of the car. I, after this movie, I was so done. So... <laughs> 
done. Oh my god. Um, so, the tape recording is the one we saw Dennis recording earlier, with the box on his head. And as Julia watches, evil, boil Dennis wanders into the room. He scoffs. The recording is pure nonsense. Why bother listening? But since he remembers when it was recorded, he knows what the boil was saying to Dennis at the time. And any time the boil was speaking when we were watching this being recorded before, evil boil Dennis speaks up in the present, and it is as though he is having a real-time conversation with himself through the television. It's really a neat moment that comes across as very spooky and, as ever, keeps up the doubt as to whether the boil was ever really talking or whether it was all Dennis all along. I... I think the boil was real. Say all you want. I know, I know Hope had that segment earlier, but like, yeah, and this was really cool. Like, it was very clearly like the setup. It was a really fun scene. I liked it, it a lot. Well. Yeah. yeah. Very well done. Frickin' bravo. And again, yeah. so simple. No real special effects involved, but yeah. it just creates this incredible sudden moment of what's happening very effectively. Mm -hmm. Evil Boyle Dennis tries to reassure Julia there are reasonable explanations for everything that she's seen, everything he's done. Things have been a little difficult, but he's feeling so much better now, and he's all over this beastly stress that's been making him so upsetting to be around. It's like the end of 2001, when Hal is trying to calmly explain that he's fine now, except with more skin complaints. Hal never had boils, it really makes you think. What if Hal <laughs> did have boils? Now, yeah, I don't want to think I, about that. Actually, you know what? I'm taking all that back. <laughs> Dennis goes on in the recording, talking about all the things that are wrong in the world and how guilty he feels about it, while evil boy Dennis cynically points out how weird and stupid it all sounds. World commodity crisis, environmental collapse by the year 2000, price fixing of vital commodities like oil or even air. <laughs> Pure fantasy, surely. Madness, yes, well... Julia is clearly starting to wonder which of the two Dennises she actually likes better. Evil Boyle Dennis might look like the same one, but he wants to give everyone boils and then sell them pimple cream because that's how you make money in the real world. Ah, God. The usage of real world always irks me every time. <laughs> I mean, I know, I, know, I know the context it's used in right here, but that's clearly like the point, but I'm just like, ugh. Yeah. Um, Grow up and give people pimples so that you can sell them pimple cream. What are you, some kind of sissy? Like, the that's, that's, that's so funny because that's not even a grown-up thing to do. Anyway. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know this is uh, off-topic, but it really makes me think. Again, we were talking about you know socialism, and um, if you think about maybe the countervailing influence that was being exercised in television at the time, which was the Smurfs, which, believe it or not, one of the earliest um, um, websites was somebody excoriating the Smurfs for being communist propaganda. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. They, be they believed that Smurf was an acronym for socialist men under a red father. And, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. The Smurf represented Karl Marx because he wore red and had a great big beard and was getting, trying to get everybody to get along and live together for the good of the collective. <laughs> and, that, I, uh, and that brainy Smurf was Leon Trotsky. Yes, I, I love that website. Oh my god, one of my first one of my first ever zines from like junior high school was was about that uh, website and its conspiracy theory. Uh, but so here's the fun part: it's not entirely wrong. 
No. So the Smurfs, so the Smurfs, here, here's the thing to remember though. The Smurfs, the, the source material of the Smurfs is um, children's stories that were written in the, I want to say, 60s in like Northern Europe, like Sweden, yeah, Norway, uh, etc. No, they're from France. Northern France. France. Oh, Northern Belgium. Belgium, sorry. There you go. But which is heavily socialist, certainly at the time. And it was basically just kids' stories in the same way that you have kids' stories that are like, hey, the power of friendship and magic, but also the power of working together as a community and not worrying about ownership and capitalist ideals and things like that. And it's, yeah, it's a socialist utopia in a kids' <laughs> show. Communist utopia. So, it's not entirely wrong, but again, it's one of those... Yeah, sounds like a party. So, you see, Gar folks, so uh, Gargamel represents capitalism, which is always yes, trying to devour the he socialist does. idea. He's trying yeah. to always turn them into gold. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, now, he also does represent an anti-Semitic trope, which is not so great, but yeah. hey, <laughs> France. See, folks, the internet didn't create the crazy. The crazy was just there all along waiting uh, to get online. Yeah. Yeah. Just curating yeah, it. Always look at it. Borsch. Yeah, that is for Okay. Sorry, I know that was off topic, but... No, no, that was a good one. Do you want to conclude? Well, now I want to know what the Transformers symbolized. Let's save that for next time. Rampant consumerism. All right, cut to the next day, or maybe the next month or year. Evil Boyle Dennis is burning the cassette tape along with everything else he's put behind him. Julia has left him. She thought it would be harder than it turned out to be, but she couldn't handle the person he's become anymore. Dennis hears the boil one last time, telling him that he is lost because Julia is free, but evil boil Dennis just laughs. Lose? He's Dennis Dimbleby Bagley. He's got a big house, a big car, and a big advertising budget. Dennis is on top of the world. He's taking a walk through a stable now and randomly decides to have a horse ride while he makes one last speech. A speech to the whole world to explain how things are going to be. All that matters to this Dennis is choice. Do I want it or not? Do I buy this or that? The ultimate freedom of the consumer. Buy that toothpaste, buy that car. The whole world is a shop and if it isn't for sale, then it isn't worth having. The old Dennis didn't believe in freedom. He didn't even want roads everywhere. Without roads, there is no access to the good things in life. No more tin spaghetti, no more deodorants or tea bags, no more long life cream or chewing gum. After all, don't roads represent the ultimate freedom to go where one wants? More than anything, people love their cars. They have every right to them. Cars and every technical innovation that modern science can bring. Why shouldn't people have 10% more of this or 15% less of that? Dennis has finally reached his crowning moment. He's going to sell them anything and everything. They're going to get it bigger and better than ever before. Dennis will give them anything that they could ever want. I said, and if they don't want it yet, he'll make them want it. As the music swells and he takes in Britain's green and pleasant land laid out before him like a multi-level shopping plaza, Dennis sees the future and it's going to be big. And I just want to make a point here. The music they're playing is Holst's the, uh, from Holst's The Planets Suite. This is Jupiter, Bringer of Jollity. Well, the, um, the actual, the, the music is, was reworked into Jerusalem. You know, the, the sort of semi-hymn song poem. 
They, they sing at rugby matches all the time, you know. And did Jesus walk on these green fields of England's green and pleasant lands and all that kind of stuff? So it's all, to, to the British, it's an incredibly patriotic, hyper-British piece of music yeah, about no, how... Jupiter you know, Jolly? Yeah, no, yep. they, they specifically ripped off Holst for that. Yeah, they, it's, it has a dual meaning because it got turned into this uh, nationalistic oh. hymn. But about how uh, Britain is where the new Jerusalem will be built because everything is going to be made perfect here. Yeah, I know. I just wanted to stand up and start singing, Oh, Canada, our home and native land. Right? Well, this For was a... Canadian a <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was a not uncommon cinematic move of satires of the like political satires of the 70s and in 80s which was to end on the pie am right like just right. a big giant ridiculous speech that it's like plot plot's gone we're just we're just going for it like chew that scenery my man just dive right in um, this is and the British scene. equivalent of the greed is good monologue at the end of... Uh, Absolutely. Uh, yes, exactly. at the end of exactly. Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. it's the same, exact same, exact same. He, he's the British Gordon Gecko. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I figured, you know, why wait, you know? I mean, you'll never get your moment unless you take your moment, and sometimes that means exotic poisons and kidnapping, you know? <laughs> Wait. Wait a minute. What the buggery bollocks is this? Is this a hobnob with no chocolate? Oh no! That's it. I'm getting the big stick. No! Don't beat me terribly, I beg of you! What's that? It's. It's a giant bearded flesh baby trying to cover its modesty with a comically small fez. There are times in the doings of men when one must stand up and face the consequences of one's actions. Yes, these are moments, moments of courage. I want you to go out there and sacrifice yourself while I flee. He's bugged off. Betrayal! Backstabbery! Blackguardism! Oh no! So... Everyone uh, accounted for. Daniel Ho! Check. Hmm. I found the booze. Space Ahoy! Mm. I'm here! I'm here! I don't know why I have to carry the sack, though! He's staying in the sack till he learns his lesson, and you're carrying it till you learn yours. Oh! Yes, madam. Ah, uh, how's the weather up there, Zach? Ha ha! Very funny. Any luck finding pants the size of a bus? Uh, how how long is this gonna last anyway? Um, I'd say another day or so. I mean, if you need anything off a really high shelf, now's the time. 
Well, I suppose we did hold a conclave, even if it was against all regulations, so and we'd under better duress. finish things off properly. Time for judgment. I always want to say it's judgment time, but I never know whether to go with the Sylvester Stallone version or the Carl Urban version. Well, the Carl Urban one is the superior one, but, you know, the Stallone one is definitely is definitely the funnier one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So cool. I'll kick us off. <clears throat> All right. So uh, given the recent uh, behavior, uh, outlandish behavior of our of our brother Andy, pursuant to, um, you know, uh, the charter of our chapter, uh, chapter three, subclause two A about um, betrayal in the first. Uh, I guess it falls to me to be temporary pontifex of presentment as uh, the closest aesthetic bullshit to Brother Andy's. Uh, so let's let's judge this film. Um, I call us to order for final judgments. Uh, Arbiter Alessa, please uh, begin. Oh, uh, yeah. So I guess like I kind of, I mean, obviously... Most paramount being this is undoubtedly guilty in every single count. I mean, I just, it's very, I know we keep shouting subtlety, but yeah, it is very much that. It's uh, very clear what it is. It's very like, uh, look at what capitalism does to you. And this is. Uh, uh, further solidified my resolution to never get into marketing or advertising or any of those in, uh, industries and never touching them with a 10-foot pole. Although, um... Cattle prod. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at least... At least as anything other than an actor, that that's where, like, anything anything beyond just being the actor in that circumstance for advertising. I'm, I'm good. I'm great. Um, there were points where I was like, it, it was kind of towing the line of like, again, like ableist tropes that would be like, Ooh, he has a mental illness. Ooh. But like, it kind of reeled it in a little bit more towards, I guess, um, kind of a metaphor for internal change, if that makes sense sense um like it was more about this guy giving in to what capitalism wants you to do it wants you to exploit people and hurt people for profit um and it was just a matter of giving into that and letting that change you as a person as you become more cruel and jingoistic um so yeah, and the, the boil, I guess, was the 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 metaphorical vehicle to make that um, uh, make that all click. Out of, I guess, the aesthetics of we watch weird movies here. This is definitely a really fucking weird movie. Um, although it was coherent, it did have a story that was that uh, while not very subtle at all, was uh, quite coherent. Um, as opposed to something like, I don't know, Time Bandits or something like that. Um, but Are you on every single time count. Incoherent? Huh? Are you calling Time Bandits incoherent? Yeah. 
Nej. Oj, oj, oj. In any case, this film, without a single doubt in my mind, is undeniably guilty. Uh, Brother Ethan, your judgment. Well, um, <clears throat> I have to say that um, I, I had this is my first time seeing this film, um, and I I'm kind of surprised that this is the first time that I've seen this film, but it was. And um, actually, I have <laughs> I'm I'm I dig it. I, I, basically, they think of it this way: if there, I, I I like just about everything that handmade films has ever done. I mean. Well, maybe I should say before it sold, you know, when it was under George Harrison and um, Dennis O'Brien, everything that Handmade Films did was just fucking awesome. Nuns on the Run, um, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah, like. Ooh, I love that one. Yeah, like. Could somebody somebody please kick the bag? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, if, If. if there was any film company in the 1980s that would have been willing to take on a story uh, largely consisting of monologues, sharply critical of 80s shit capitalist culture, it could only have been handmade films. Because you got to think about who founded it. Like I said, George Harrison, uh, an ex-Beatle. He's the somebody that Eric Idle described as one of the few morally good people rock and roll has ever produced, um, which says a lot. Uh, also, keep in mind that Eric Idle was the midwife for Handmade Films, um, which was founded to pick up where EMI Films left off and Monty Python's left from Brian after EMI dropped that hot potato. And we have mentioned this in our Time Bandits thing, but it, it keeps just keep that in mind that like people wanted to market Monty Python because they knew the kids liked it. Um, but once they were starting to do something just a little too spicy, uh, they were like, oh, no, we can't do that. Um, so Eric Idle found George Harrison. George Harrison was like, OK. No problem. Let's do it. Um, because they met, Idol and Harrison met while sharing a joint in the projection room during a screening of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, <laughs> talk about so, a meet So Idol knew him. Uh, check that so, checks out. Yeah. Idol took, uh, took Dennis O'Brien um, to, uh, to meet George Harrison. They took an emergency flight out to L- Los Angeles to Harrison's uh, flat where they were having a party. Um, and uh, basically, anyway, so you remember this. We discussed this at length during the Conclave on Time Bandits. I don't need to recover that. Anyway, um, Handmaid's been responsible for a large number of highly influential films. So Time Bandits, like I said, which we covered. The Long Good Friday, which is, as uh, I think I may have also mentioned at some point in the past, is the quintessential British gangster film. It's the movie that, if it did not exist, Guy Ritchie would not have a career. <laughs> Wait, which um, film is this? The Long Good Friday. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen that? Oh, sure. Oh, man. You want to talk about Bob Hoskins? Like I remember, I always thought of Bob Hoskins as uh, as like this is the guy Eddie Valiant from from um, oh, Roger no. Rabbit, and suddenly oh, I'm no. like, oh dude, he's opening throats with broken bottles. Damn! No, 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 no. no. Uh, who framed Roger Rabbit was a departure for him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, but, we can talk about that another time. Bob yeah, yeah. Hoskins, badass. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, but they also did Bruce Robinson's other film with Null and I, which was um, also uh, Richard E. Grant. I think that may have been his screen debut, but like he absolutely just just kills in that. So seeing him more or less replay with Null, but getting to be the lead character and give these long anti-capitalist monologues or 
I don't know if I'd say well, some of the monologues are anti-capitalist, but like basically, it's made up of almost fully a, a third to almost half of the film is made up of Richard E. Grant ranting at the camera, <laughs> which is fucking awesome. <laughs> this film, I mean, the the uh, how to get ahead in advertising. So not knowing this existed, loving with Nolan and I to pieces and getting to see Richard Grant chewing up the scenery, uh, you know, and, and just like, like grinding his teeth and sweating through most of the film is hilarious. Um, anyway, so like how to get ahead in advertising came out right at the peak of 80s corporate piracy, which is to say, you know, when CEOs got the bright idea to start stripping their corporations of their assets, raid their employee pensions, offshore everything in order to pad the bottom line. You know, assholes like General Electric's Jack Welch, the guy who is one of the major sculptors of why the world sucks so hard in the 2020s, but almost nobody has ever heard of him because they've only ever heard of him in terms of like, hey, this guy made General Electric look really good in the 80s. Well, he did it by doing all of those things. And then there are a bunch of people in the, the ruling and you know, the business elite ruling classes of the U.S. and, and, and the U.K. looked at him and they're like, oh, I could do that. I'm, I'm going to do that. Okay, let's, let's give it a shot, mate. Um, go check out the episodes of Behind the Bastards about Jack Welch if you want to know more. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> anyway, while the rest of us were watching all of the most iconic movies of the 80s, folks like Bruce Robinson and George Harrison were actually paying attention and trying to use cinema to get the public to break out of its collective episode of hyper-consumerist mass hypnosis. Um, they were really trying to get the public to look at how hard they were getting shafted. They saw the direction things were going. They were trying to say, hey, 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 guys, look, look here. And unfortunately, this movie got buried under titles like, you know, Predator and Total Recall and all the other, you know, like, you know, things go explode. <laughs> so looking at what, things you know. Things go explode. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But like, like looking at both um, Andy and Daniel's uh, take on uh, um, Total Recall, talking about it basically like selling a false revolution in order to keep people distracted. Um, this was the movie that they were trying to distract people from, I think. The, all the movies we know and love from the 80s are examples of what my film history class would have called cinema of distraction. And how to get ahead in advertising is the polar opposite of that, which is why I love it and what makes it absolutely fucking guilty um, on every every possible count. Um, I almost wanted to to acquit this film, but no, this is super guilty of cinemania, but in the best way. Oh, as and as a final note, I really want to point out how the Boyle's idea of using punk nihilism to create a world in which pimple cream can be remarketed later is a really solid and subtle comment on the way the punk movement got co-opted by marketing execs. Jello Briafra would shit himself. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's for serious, I still remember when you first started seeing like advertisements posted on the walls in uh, CBGB in New York, right? So it wasn't just you know, hey, come to this random concert, you know, you know, uh, pick up my zine, things like that. But you'd start to see, and it was usually pimple cream that started it. Oh, because oh. there's, you know what? You could be as punk so as filthy, fuck as a unwashed masses. In the, well, that's the thing. You could be as punk as fuck as a teenager in the 80s and like be sneaking out to CBGB, but you still cared about your pimples. Uh, so, yeah. Or you ate them like Brother Zach does at the moment. <laughs> at least he stopped uh, picking his nose.
yes, okay, I know fine, you want to call fine. them boils. No, no, he clearly he needs to he Ooh. needs to pass judgment too. He is still a member Ooh. of the conclave. We cannot call this conclave complete without all judgments. Uh, yeah, somebody open it up, but just a little. Behave, or else. <gasps> oh, thank you. Oh, some fresh air at last. Oh, well, yeah, I, I do have a lot to say about this film, actually. Yeah, I'm sure you do, so long as it does not involve any more tea. Of course. Well, 1987, or that Bruce no one Robinson asked for. hits the scene with Whithnail and I, a film in which he talks about the end of the 60s, looking back at the greatest decade ever with trepidation about what the 70s will bring. Two years later, he comes back with How to Get Ahead in Advertising, end of the 80s, looking back at what that decade has brought us, looking ahead with trepidation at what the next decade will bring. The two are definitely a piece together in that they're this prescient look at where we've gone and where we're going. But this film is absolutely more prescient because they're literally dealing with what's coming down the pipe in a few years' time after this film is completed. And they got a lot amazingly right. At the time, this film was viewed as just a, a kind of crazy screed against capitalism. And, oh, yes, it's all very funny, but ha, 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 there's a boil and there's advertising. How amusing. Nobody realized just how accurate so much of this film would be. We really see a, a detailed look at exactly how the advertising executives and the corporate overlords are selling us everything and making us need things we had no idea we wanted, making us have problems that they could then sell us a solution to. And now, where we see that the world literally is a shop and everything is for sale and everything is packaged to us and sold to us and all of our identity is observed at all times by these technocratic systems that are watching us and selling us specific adverts tailored to our personalities, everything this movie suggested has not only happened, but happened way more than they could ever have expected. Dennis Bagley has won, and the world he wanted to create has been created. He has, in effect, builded Jerusalem on these green and pleasant lands, and suddenly the film doesn't quite seem so funny. It seems a little bit tragic in a way that it probably didn't at the time, because now we see just how right he was and how foolish we all were to laugh at the time. Everything about this film speaks to my childhood and the Britain I grew up with, and I can feel a, a, a slight sense of melancholy watching this now at what's been lost and where we've ended up. So this film gave us a huge warning, but unfortunately packaged that warning in a very funny and amusing wrapper, so we just couldn't take it seriously. So for knowing what was about to happen, but failing to make us change our minds, I definitely find this film oh so guilty. And now I would really appreciate if I didn't have to go back into the bag, because I think that I've shown a lot of good behavior recently. Close it up. Close it, close it. Oh, no, no, please, no. It's okay. It's okay. Andy, Andy, brother Andy, it, it, that's the bag of personal growth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, now I will say breath. silver lining, sil- Try not to bark. silver lining to brother Andy's uh, comments. Um, if all of our listeners could crank up their volume for a second, take themselves off headphones, speak, put themselves on speaker. Okay, Google, subscribe to the Cinemania podcast. <laughs>
Uh, Hope, would you like to render judgment? Sure. We are forced to watch the movie. We may as well be forced to render judgment. Yes. Yes, we are. So this was my first time watching this film, but it felt so familiar. Like it felt like I had seen it before because the messages and the characters have been redone. This was like the precursor to Wolf of Wall Street and Gordon Gecko and Don Draper. You know, we've seen these characters over and over doing these sort of, you know, with this sort of message. The I'm going to sell everything to everyone, but you know, really it's bad, but I'm going to do it anyways because money is good. Greed is good. You know, 80s, ha ha ha. Yeah, I think everything else has really been said about, you know, the message of the film. I agree with Ethan and Andy and Alessa, but on a purely cinematic note, I really liked the puppetry. It was very like Henson-esque. It reminded me a lot of like the puppetry in The Labyrinth, not in the spirit of it, but like physically, (laughs) you know. Like those door knockers that talk at you and the, you know, the boil, the way the boil's mouth moves and talks. And I, it was really great puppetry and I loved that. So I got to be honest, uh, comrade, I was simply going to render judgment because as you say, everything has, we've, we've talked about everything, but as soon as you said, we've said all there is to say about this film, I did take that as a personal challenge. So. (laughs) Okay. Well, you, you gear up and I will just say it's guilty. Ah, so allow me to dredge up all of the uh, occult subtext of this film, which I'm pretty sure isn't really there, but I think you could say it's there anyway. You can put it there yourself. Yep. I think this film is a classic example of uh, the the Gnostic revolution, the, the whole existential crisis uh, that we started uh, experiencing first in like 19th century philosophy, but this whole notion that there is another layer to reality, that what we're seeing is some kind of manufactured layer to control us and manipulate us, right? And the, the Gnostic revolution is to see beyond that, to take the, the red pill. And The Matrix is, in fact, another uh, cinematic example of the Gnostic revolution, to, to see beyond the, the um, false layer of reality that is it that become pulled transgender. over our eyes. Sorry. Yes, exactly. Yes, no, the, the, that is a, <laughs> They have been very, the Wachowski sisters have been extremely clear about that metaphor. Hell yeah. Uh, so, um, what the other thing that this film does, that's kind of interesting, uh, it's hardly the first time that this, uh, line has been subverted, but it takes the classic idea of, uh, you know, the, you've got the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder, which calls all the way back to like medieval passion plays of morality and, and things like that. Right. Which then further evolved into simply the devil on your shoulder. Uh, Poe wrote a story called the imp of the perverse. Uh, his name is Jack. He cheats at cards. Do not fucking trust him. I thought his uh, name was Andy. Fucker owes me 25 bucks. Wow. Nice one. No, 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 no. So Jack, Jack is, um, you know, just the imp that tries to tempt you to do evil things. Um, simply because, right. Just why not? Um, the, the concept of a caca demon, which is effectively the opposite of, uh, a guiding angel, Right. Um, it's sort of a guiding devil. Um, it's sometimes even referred to as cacodemonia, where uh, people blame doing bad things on evil impulses. So you've got this very um, mental, um, oh, not mental, uh, cut. So you've got this very cerebral approach to good and evil going on 
both in the film, and that's a direct reference to all of this stuff, right? Where you've got evil boiled Dennis and then good pre-boiled Dennis, but he gets turned into the boil, right? And it's literally on his shoulder. And then there's the ones on the right shoulder and ones on the left shoulder. Like the left is evil and the right is yeah, the good one. Yeah, right. Right. And then the nurses get it all wrong. And the ex- so there's a great song by a band called Lou Divine called Pimp of the Perverse. Awesome song, but- Oh, I didn't know that. You're going to have to tell, share me that song, Pimp of the Perverse. I love it. Uh, so yeah. So, and of course, the, the, the medical profession exorcises the wrong demon, right? Uh, not fully successfully. But so all of this, what it does is it undermines the, the kind of Cartesian duality between mind and body because it blends the two. They are not just these mental, cerebral, or spiritual influences over Dennis, but literally physical um, entities attached to him. Uh, so all of that bullshit is largely unintentional, if I had to guess, but it's still there. And therefore, this film is subtly, subtly guilty of cinemania. I, I would say it's blatantly guilty, <laughs> but... You know. Good. That's a, actually a really... There's a lot of layers. All the layers are there. No, I feel... I feel no, otherwise, I felt like this film was really pretty straightforward. I mean, like, I mean, the whole, Maybe like... It's the, more like an you know, onion wine, or a parfait. Wine carton. It's got all those layers. <laughs> I know everybody like parfait. Um, right, like, the, the whole, like, wine carton on the head. Yeah, I mean, of course. How else do you create a safe space for yourself to have a, a nice recorded conversation with your wife when you've got an intrusive voice, right? No? Am I the only person who's done this? Did they have safe spaces in the 80s? <laughs> no, no, they did not. Uh, okay, uh, I feel like if anyone- Do you have a wife? What are you talking about? Yeah, it's Clark Nova. Oh, right, sorry, sorry, sorry. I remember your vow ceremony. It was it was beautiful. <laughs> no, tell sobriety uh, do you part. <laughs> uh, so I feel like if there's anyone who can pontificate uh, where we have pontificated too much, it would be uh, our comrade, Professor Andrea. Uh, so I'm going to hand it off to you for uh, penultimate judgment. Well, the strange thing about this film to me was the way that kind of sex and how women play into that um, kind of came up in strange places throughout the film. The very first time we see Dennis talking about a advertising campaign, it's about how you can kind of trick this woman into doing something. And later on, you're hearing conversations about contraception at the dinner table and how Dennis doesn't believe that that's something that women should, you know, have as an option or think it's important. But Penny pushes back on him. And then when Dennis the boil um, takes over Dennis's body, all of a sudden his main goal is like, I've got to get Julia pregnant. And Julia doesn't know that this, this is the boil's goal, but she feels it the creepy intensity and complains to her friends about all he ever wants is sex, 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 and I'm running out of headache excuses. So it makes her uncomfortable. And there's just this kind of like power dynamic that's kind of tied into the whole advertising thing that you don't get a choice. Like, you know, if I want a baby, you're going to have a baby. You know, you're not allowed to have contraception. You're making too big a deal about it. They never say outright that women are supposed to have babies and that's their point. But like by kind of making contraception sound like a bad thing or like a too, making a big deal out of it, it's really taking away women's choices. And then during the final scene at the party, um, 
even the Dennis Boyle starts saying some really inappropriate things to the woman that he's dancing with and it totally freaks her out and she just leaves. So there's this whole part of that about not just not having a choice in advertising, but women specifically not having a choice when it comes to like sex or the decision to have a kid that's not really commented on much, but it just sh- keeps showing up um, in different places. And you get the sense that Julia would have left Dennis even if that final confrontation could, didn't happen because he had, with this new advertising focused persona, really gone so far into the, you don't get a choice, Julia. I'm going to trick you into like having a child. I mean, he was planning to like pretty much trick her into having a child. Like, it's so gross. So, I mean... I mean, kudos to the filmmakers if that's what they're trying to say, but I just felt like it was so buried in there that it it didn't get a lot of attention. Yeah, I you 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 raise a good point there, which is to say, you know, we didn't, uh, you know, that we, I don't think we kind of thought about it at the time, but like autonomy and informed consent are not really part of the advertising industry's lexicon. You know, the idea that humans are like like if anything advertising seems to to take the opposite tack which is they don't want people to make uh, informed decisions they don't want people to to consent to to purchasing their product because if they actually thought about it they would realize it's not in their best interest you know so it's not surprising that that's the angle that he takes but it really gets sharpened to a point um, just like you said, where like he does not consider Julia's consent over sex and the autonomy over her own body as to decide when to get pregnant. You know, there's a there's some really deep statements being made about the the fundamental level of misogyny in both capitalism and the culture in which Dennis operates. That I feel like, just like you said, could have been made in less oblique fashion, but I, I also don't know how it could be made more explicit. Anyway. I mean, I understand at the time, um, even raising the issue is, I guess, like, you know, unusual. So I'll take that as a win. It, you know, it says a lot about um, handmade films willingness to take on topics of this gravity. It's just a shame that it didn't get more publicity and, and wider viewership. Absolutely. So for my judgment, even though I think the film was trying to make a good point about the lack of consent, especially like with women and their rights to their own bodies when it comes to advertising in, in the society at large, it didn't quite hit the mark and it left you just feeling kind of icky instead. And for that reason, I am afraid I must judge it guilty. Mm. Great point, Andrea. <laughs> and so I've been saving the, well, not best, but biggest for last. Uh, Brother Zachariah. Hey, yo, brother, can you hear me up there? What? Yo, judgment time! Jack Club Opinions! Uh, uh, hand tube! There, somebody get the, get in that vacuum tube so he can speak at a normal tone of voice. The vacuum cleaner attachment, right? Not not a vacuum tube hey. like a computer? Thank you! <clears throat> Some are born great. Others achieve great things, and yet others have greatness thrust upon them. Or maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> Which do you think Dennis Dimbley Bagley would uh, say he has been cast as? Well, this 
It's an interesting question because in a lot of ways I see this movie as the death of conscience in a man. Um, at the beginning of this, we see Dennis and he's talking about how how he can sell anything to anyone and he wants to be the guy to sell scams to crypto bros. The boil is a medical reaction and filling up with pus and pustules and this disgusting thing I feel is sort of like Dennis's body rejecting all of the evil crap that he has had to spout and has been keeping in. And it's like his body is literally trying to reject He's it. trying to get rid of the toxins. So you're saying it's a Jewish boil. <laughs> very much so. <laughs> so it reminds me very much of going all the way back to Naked Lunch of William Burroughs' story that uh, we had um, Robocop Peter Weller talking about, about the man whose asshole could Remember the time Peter Weller shot that guy in the dick? No, that was Robocop, not Peter Weller. Uh, No, Peter Weller uh, shot that, shot his wife in the head in in, uh, Naked Lunch. You were here for that. That that was William S. Burroughs, not Peter Weller. Yeah, William S. H. Burroughs. Sorry, sorry, Bill Lee. (laughs) Bill Lee. Anyways... The story of the man whose asshole started talking taught his asshole to speak, and eventually his asshole devoured all of him so that his asshole was speaking through his mouth, and you could see the man dying behind his trap behind his own eyes as his asshole took over his entire body. That is essentially the same allegory, but with a boil. That's it. This is that same story of poor, poor Dennis, who decides that, you know, he wants to get rid of the thing that he created that was terrible. His conscience finally catches up to him. All that his body is physically rejecting all the evil and badness and going into this boil. But the boil will not go down easily. The boil starts to take over. The boil tricks him, and the boil takes him down. This crisis of conscience from people who do and are forced to sell things that aren't conscionable, I mean, it's even his boss talks about how he had a breakdown when he couldn't sell a certain thing. They never stop to think of maybe the reason that they're having trouble selling things is because their conscience is catching up with them. They're finally, after years and decades, going, enough, enough. I don't want to fucking sell all this shit to people. They don't need it. It's actually hurting people. It's hurting the planet. I'm tricking people. And the problem is it gets back into, you know, the sane man in a crazy world will be seen as insane. And in this is and the something like advertising, the honest and truthful man will be seen as insane to all of the liars and cheats. Just like you want to tell the truth? Why? There's no money in that. You'll lose your job. You'll be on the streets. You'll have no money, no success. You know, that is what it takes in a, in a society, capitalist society to achieve. 
and it's terrible. And why wouldn't it drive anyone insane? And why wouldn't they want to reject that? That reminds me of, um, in one of the Hitchhiker's Guide books, there's Wonko the Sane who builds this inside out, inside out house, oh, which is yes. an asylum for the whole world. Because everyone exactly. else is too insane. He's the only sane one. Right. Well, and the reason what you're saying is, is really the reason why it doesn't matter whether he's exactly. crazy or not. Both things exist at the same time. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And yeah, whether it's just him for, you know, killing his own conscience by having it lanced and drained and letting his the evil side that wants to sell people shit and doesn't give a crap about them. You know, just wants to fuck whoever, point out when women aren't wearing bras. I mean, that's on him. I do want to point out that this movie, I think, is the inspiration for an episode of Invader Zim called Pastulio. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Invader Zim uses soap made out of bacon that Gurr made, and it gives him a huge pustule on the side of his head that Gurr then draws a face on, and when he touches it, it starts hypnotizing people, and they do whatever Pastulio says. And Zim starts using it to take over the world until it it uh, <laughs> until it starts going down and he tries to make it even bigger and stronger and it just explodes and shoots pus and stuff and almost drowns everybody and he just runs away. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel that uh, knowing uh, oh John and Vasquez, the creator of uh, Invader Zim, uh, this kind of movie I'm sure is right up his alley and he saw it. So um, for being a whole metaphor on the death of consciousness and capitalism, um, for taking source sources from uh, Naked Lunch, which was already deemed a source of Cinemania, and of course for inspiring John and Vasquez to do fucking anything, I think that this movie is guilty of Cinemania. <coughs> Swallowed Ooh, Wow. Okay. Uh, <coughs> Zach is now added about four plastic feet to his intestines. Uh, <coughs> so, uh, no, no, I'm certainly not. Um, okay. Well, so in, in a in a surprise uh, result, this film has been found unanimously guilty of cinemania. Uh, Brother Ethan? Uh, Brother Ethan? Uh, right. Well, uh, now that everyone has rendered their judgment, I shall, uh, uh, call this conclave adjourned. Um, but, uh, once again, I appear to have, uh, mislaid my gavel. (sighs) Again? I thought I pinned it to your fucking shirt! (sighs) Yes, please hand me that Zach, rip one of the arms off one of the chairs. Yeah, here. Just, no, no, it's fine. Here, use this rock. All right, thank you. Um, oh, you know what'll work very well is this sack. We have to hit it twice in order to call it adjourned. <laughs>
well, once again, I'd just like to say that mistakes were made. And? And, without wanting to point any fingers, I think we can all agree that sort of thing won't happen again. Probably. Ugh. That'll have to do. What do we got to eat? I have... Mmm, half a granola bar and some miscellaneous trail mix with bits of pocket fluff stuck on. Don't look at me. I already ate all my space supplies a few disasters ago. Space supplies? You mean you're gobbling up all that disgusting neon candy crap? Space supplies. Hey, I'm back. So, good news, bad news. Uh, The train station is pretty nearby. Well, actually, that's your front. Your back is the other side. Uh-huh. Yeah, this time, no tea service, please. Noted. Trouble is, uh, Zach is still pretty grotesque, so we're not exactly going to get a ticket. Anyway, we did spot a creepy old dockyard a little further on down the way. Professor Andrea volunteered to book us some passage out of here. Uh, she should be back any moment. How's Big Z doing? Brother Zachariah is patrolling the perimeter. I think I saw him grab some dinner out there. (laughs) Poor guy must be hungry enough to eat a horse by now. At least the conclave is over. Hey, Big Z, what did you think? Movie was good. Duh. I don't think he got it. Look, it's a simple story. Boy meets boil, which spoils his toil to sell oil that foils boils. Boil gets big ideas, boy gets a box, boy loses his mind in the end, but it's all right because he gets a new one. Girl decides to break up with boil boy, who is busy on a horse anyway. We all enter a golden future of crass consumerism for all. The end. Fuck you, you gotta warn me before I take a drink when you do that. Jesus Christ. It's basically just on the tired retread, isn't it? Let's move on. How are we getting out of here? Okay, so we're not getting our giant flesh baby on a train. It's not like we can grab an Uber and ask them to send a really big Prius. What exactly does that leave us with? Well, hey, look! Professor Andrea's back! Looks like she got us some transportation. What kind? Uh, what did she get us? Uh, she's gesturing that way? Uh, wait up, Professor! Am I going to regret this? Probably. <laughs> Whatever works is good, right? I regret everything I do with this group. Uh, this does not work for me. At least there's room for Zach. Seriously, a paddle steamer. When you need to move a lot of people and cargo with no questions asked, trust me, this is how you do it. How did she manage to book us passage? I can be explaining that to you all, my friends. This here is the good ship Tangerine Delivery Unit 7. Let me welcome you all aboard. And you are... Well, you, sir, you can call me by my preferential referential credentials, being that I am Captain Big Daddy Crawl Daddy Bowfoot St. Tiffany, and I shall be your angel of mercy in these your travailing times. We uh, don't exactly have any money, Mr. All of that. A gentlemanly agreement binds me, sir. There ain't no Bowfoot St. Tiffany ever gone back on a wager yet, and I intend not to be the first. Never before have I lost in a match of Travel Scrabble. Never. Travel Scrabble? <laughs> Professor Andrea's got skills. It sounds like you got beat fair and square, Big Daddy Crawdaddy. <laughs> ah, true enough. Welcome to my floating palace, friends. We shall depart with the river tide. Oh, I have a really... Really bad feeling about this. 
and I'm still hungry. Snack! Oh god, no, no, let's go. Let's just go, go, go. Oh, everybody, look. Look over here. Look at, uh, oh, oh, this is beautiful. Look at this tree. Oh, tree! Nice and Zach, put the pony down, please. Oh god, I hope he doesn't get seasick. My feet are cold. Well, if it isn't the movie nerds from Captain McBlood Culpers, my favorite dead-end minimum wage job, you will get yours, and my revenge will be all you can eat. Uh, what was, what was that? Did, did... I think I... Oh, excuse me, what? I was just saying, mon cher, we're gonna let the good times roll on this here steamer paddle boat. Enjoy yourself, sir. Oh, excellent. That's what I thought you said. <laughs> um, do you have any, uh, what is that called? Uh, is it a, a moonshine? Um, you mean a moon pie there. We got lots of them. Come on down below decks, I'll show oh, you. Oh, no, no. We definitely mean moonshine. Well, that gonna cost you a little extra share. Care for another game of Scrabble Scrabble? We gonna even up the score share. Oh, not feeling good. Last pony. Turn oh, stomach. Danger oh, close. Danger close. Danger close. is That episode of the Cinemania Society was written and performed by Andy Slack, Daniel Scribner, Andrea Palladino, Alessa Luz Martinez, Hope Bravo, Ethan Ireland, and Zachariah Burks. With special guest, Miles Miniacci. Music by Carl Casey at Whitebat Audio. Incidental music and sound effects courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Visit our social media feeds on Facebook, Twitter, X, at TCS underscore Cinemania and Reddit at r slash the Cinemania Society. If you really like what you've heard, visit us on Patreon and chuck us a couple bones, because making podcasts ain't free. The Cinemania Society is a product of the Cinemania Society, LLC.